Welcome to the Negative Positives Podcast, episode number 326. I'm your host, Mike Gutterman, coming to you from the Gutterman Cave in a uh, sweltering uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, it is the Monday episodes. That means we've got, we got co-captains and, uh, and we have a, a special guest as usual. Uh, so let's get to the co-captains. Uh, that's if all the way out in Los Angeles, the city of angels, La La Land. Los Angeles, California, that is. Uh, Andre Dominguez, how are you doing tonight, Andre? Doing well, Mike. I, I hope the the sound of the fan blowing, you know, straight at me <laughs> isn't going to be too loud because it is it is sweltering here in L.A. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard. Yeah, seems to be it's a bit, made made a bit of news. So uh, it's the news of reach has reached Louisville. So yeah, but uh, 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 Roxanne, didn't you say it was like one ten uh, at one point, one hundred ten degrees? Did you get up to that Roxanne angles uh, all the way out in uh, Rochester, New York? Our other Coco Captain, how you doing tonight, Roxanna? <laughs> I am doing good here in Palm Desert, and it has been known to get here about 119, 120, yes. 124 even sometimes. This last <laughs> week we had humidity, and it was miserable, so Brian and I escaped to Big Bear for his birthday to escape this godforsaken heat. Nice, nice. Uh, did I say Rochester, New York? I meant Rochester, California. That's where you're at, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, it's uh, Palm Desert, California. <laughs> right. Just want to make sure everybody knows where you're at. So yeah, that's a. <laughs> and, all right, and our special guest. You know, it's it, we just had one of these guys. Like I, I, these guys just won't leave us alone. Apparently, uh, it's uh, another another guy from the Classic Lenses podcast. We we can't seem to get rid of him. We had Johnny Sisson a couple weeks ago, and now now we got another one of those classic lens lensers out there and uh it's, it's mr uh, mr perry g all the way out in hong kong how you doing tonight perry hello yeah we're here to invade your ears and invade your headphones we're, we're doing well <laughs> it's it's 10 30 a.m uh it's around oh my god you guys use fahrenheit yeah it's that's like right 80, 87 over here hot sweltering uh, summer <laughs> you know uh, i was thinking about this um uh, I believe, uh, you know, there was this little thing called uh, the Sunnies, the Sunny 16 uh, podcast does. Uh, and uh, last year, uh, a certain podcast, I, I, you know, uh, this little podcast called Negative Positives was like, I kind of won the, the podcast category, favorite podcast category. But, but there was a, a, a runner up, like a second place. And it was it was that Classic Lenses podcast. So I, I honestly, I, I this this whole thing has been a scheme of mine to get you all on my show to get some more of your listeners listening to us so that we'll win again. We don't, I'm trying to like make sure you guys don't take our number one spot this, this year uh, on the voting. So I uh, see it's a little bit of a, that's a little bit of scheming on my part. Uh, so yeah, don't blow it for me, Perry. I, I'm trying to keep that number <laughs> one spot. <laughs> that's cool. We're, we're very happy with that, uh, that silver medal. Cause technically we're not a film photography podcast. <laughs> what? What? Now, why? And, and we're having you on. Why? why is there, what's that's it? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but you know, you and Johnny, you can keep it pretty uh, film centric. You shoot a lot of films, so uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, that's fine. I, Classic lenses has, has become one of my uh, one of my favorite uh, film pod well uh, podcast photography podcast I should say out there because uh, um, I just like your all's banner and I like I like uh, I like hearing uh, Simon get uh, more and more uncomfortable when you and Rocks <laughs> uh, when you and Johnny go on uh, on uh, certain tangents. So. Uh, <laughs> so I get a kick out of that, but uh, yeah, he's got a, he's got a signature sound that he makes. <laughs> this, this British grunt, whenever. Right. Whatever. 
<laughs> right. Well, Perry, since this is your first time on on the uh, Negative Positives, I think it's you know, everyone probably knows, especially if they listen to your your podcast. But uh, just in case they haven't, like, give a little, people a little background on how you got into photography and uh, just a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for having me, having me on. Uh, I sure. I've been doing photography for as long as I can remember since I was a kid. But uh, I think I only started really getting into it seriously late high school, early college. Um, and I grew up in Edmonton in Canada. I went to high school in Hong Kong, went back to Canada, lived in Toronto for like 10 years. And now I'm back in Hong Kong for a second stint. And how long have you been there now? Oh, this is my sixth year back now. I think I came back in 2014. Yeah, the the older you get, the the faster each year seems to fly by. <laughs> it certainly do, right? <laughs> so, and, but and, and this is probably something we'll get into. But like, uh, you've uh, you, you kind of came into that uh, oh that country uh, or that area when uh, during some interesting times. Just uh, just saying, right? <laughs> oh yeah, I chose I chose maybe the the weirdest possible time to come back to Hong Kong. It seems like right. everything has been a bit of a downward spiral. Um, <laughs> Since I got back, but at the same time, it, it's a, it's a great city for photography. And the, you know, I, I got into film photography. Well, I got back into film photography when I was in in university because we had this sweet darkroom club um, at University of Toronto, where it was like twenty five bucks a year for membership, and they supplied all the chemicals and all the equipment. And um, when that kind of sucked me back into film after I moved back to Hong Kong, I mean, this place is just a paradise for uh, not only shooting but also you know like johnny worked at uh works at central camera in chicago which is like the only uh camera store that sells used vintage equipment in that sort of chicago metro area uh-huh. whereas in hong kong you know we've got dozens if not you know up to a hundred dealers here and the there, there's one neighborhood near where i live where there's just there's 12 shops that sell film photography equipment and wow. film and chemicals and stuff within a block so no wonder um, you're always you're always you're always buying things. There's the oh man! <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. If I lived in if I lived in Edmonton, it's not, it's not like lenses are going to be flying around everywhere, you know. <laughs> right, right. So, um, what was it that got you really kind of proud? What was the main thrust of getting you kind of in, into into photography? And then uh, did you start off? I'm assuming you started off in film, and then uh, then went digital, and then you got into the whole uh, lens, uh, classic lens things on digital cameras. It was that kind of the the progression. Uh, yeah, kind of. It. I mean, I was shooting mostly digital in in university, but I okay. did have a couple of film cameras, um, especially after I joined the darkroom club and started taking some classes there. And the, the it, I think I think when I came back to Hong Kong, um, once I realized that I could develop black and white film in my bathroom pretty easily and kind of pick up everything I needed uh, mm-hmm. just at local local shops, then I just kind of got more and more and more into that rabbit hole and it uh you know never left that rabbit hole since mm-hmm. and uh now is, is it your wife or girlfriend i'm i'm, I'm not girlfriend. sure girlfriend and, and she shoots as well right yeah that's right she she wasn't really into it before uh-huh. uh before we started dating but i would always go out and you know i shoot a lot of street photography and i was I would always go out shooting and um she would just Initially, she would just tag along with me, uh, mm-hmm. keep me some company while we were walking around exploring Hong Kong. And then eventually I kind of forced her to take a camera <laughs> as well. And she started shooting. I do all the development and scanning and editing and stuff. So she has it easy. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she she has some incredible work and you know, she's a very intuitive kind of shooter and gets to play around with all my lenses and stuff. And she has man, she has expensive taste in lenses because when she wants to <laughs> when she wants to try some new stuff, typically what I'll do is, you know, for example, she was like, okay, I want a 35 millimeter lens. And I, I laid out a bunch of them in front of her and I got her to try them one at a time. And I deliberately laid them in a specific order where the one that I least wanted her to choose, she put at the very, very, I put at the very end. Right. And <laughs> naturally, naturally, that's the one that she went for. Uh, <laughs> she's got you figured out, man. Like, yeah, she, she knows your game. Well, speaking of game, uh, maybe you can help Mr. Andre Dominguez. Uh, you know, he, he has a, a significant other. Maybe he could uh, maybe get her to start shooting alongside of him. Right. Maybe you can give him some pointers, Perry. But, uh. <laughs> I've tried. I, I don't think that, you know, photography is really a a hobby that we're going to share moving forward. <laughs> and you know what? I'm, I'm okay with that. I That's was a little fine, bummed yeah. at the beginning, but uh, there, there's other things that, that we share. I'm, I'm cool with, with not having to, to sustain a, another individual with, uh, with expensive photography taste. <laughs> well, it's, it's good. It's good to have hobbies uh, separate from each other as well. So yeah. Yeah. Absence makes a heart grow fonder sometimes. Right. That's a, uh, yeah. Uh, I had, a, I had a, we went to a, uh, a a cell phone store today. We, we had to get new phones, and I had to get a, a phone for my youngest son. He's in middle school now, and all his friends had phones. We had to finally get him a phone. He, he so he'd stop nagging us about it. And uh, the 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 girl that was uh, checking us out uh, was quite a bit younger uh, than us. Uh, imagine. Uh, <laughs> does, does that happen to you often, Mike? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Younger girls check me out quite a bit. Uh, I'm just not. <laughs> <laughs> joking, joking, joking. But uh, uh, so, and she asked us, you know, me and my wife were there, and she's like, uh, and she, she told my sons, like, you've got really cool parents. You ought to be very happy. And I was like, I keep trying to tell my kids that. They just don't, they're not, they're not listening to me on this. But, and she's like, you guys seem like you're really happy and you've been together a long time. What's the secret? And I was like, uh, uh, being on opposite schedules and not seeing each other too much. That's how, that's the secret. Absence makes <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, so Perry, what, 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 what else? Like, okay. So you, uh, so, so just on, just on that to, to, uh, further develop that previous idea. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the things that got us shooting together is even though she wasn't really big into taking photos, my girlfriend was a big fan of, uh, photography as an art form. And when I was in Canada, you know, I was shooting the kind of stuff that I think a lot of people shoot, like bird photography, landscapes, um, stuff that looks pretty. Right, right. And when I got back to Hong Kong, it was really difficult for me to adjust because Hong Kong is a really dense, chaotic city. Uh, you know, we have mountains and ocean and stuff, but it's not really picturesque. Mm. So I was really struggling with finding beauty in this place. And the it wasn't really until I discovered Fan Ho, who's like the yes. most legendary yeah. street photographer uh, to come out of Hong Kong, that I, I started to kind of look at Hong Kong differently in terms of the way that you could not only shoot the streets, uh, but also incorporate, you know, elements of composition and lighting and timing, all mm. of those things that you practice when you're shooting, you know, birds and landscapes and portraits and all that kind of stuff. And my, my girlfriend had uh, organized a Fan Ho exhibition for her huh. work with the official gallery here that represents it. And I think that that's really one of the things that motivated us to go shoot together because we both really enjoy that style of photography as well. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. Yeah. Uh, in the famous photo, the one like it's, a, it's like a shadow and then there's like a I think there's a girl standing down at the very end of the shadow or something. Isn't that one of the. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love that photograph. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's awesome. And, and you mm-hmm. know, one of the things that that photo and his body of work uh, did for me was it got me to appreciate hard light. Yeah. Where, yeah. You know, the there, there's that mantra of don't go shoot at noon because the light is too harsh and too hard. Um, but I, I've grown to appreciate kind of incorporating hard shadows into the compositions mm-hmm. uh, as much as the subjects themselves. And that's that's made it a lot more practical uh, to shoot in a kind of hot, sunny place like this. And it's awesome. I need to check out more fan whole work or whatever, because it, that's I think that's the only photo that I know, you know, uh, uh, and I just feel like if that if that's the style, I need to check it out. Right? Oh, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll love yeah. it. His work is unbelievable yeah yeah i need to look more into that so um all right and then so i guess maybe the next phase that sooner or later you found yourself on classic lenses podcast (laughs) so um maybe um a little bit about that i know that was kind of a maybe a strange situation that got you in the uh a a co-captain chair there but uh uh that had to be an honor and sort of also a strange time to like be asked to be a, a co-host with the, uh, you know, um, with what they went through on the, on that, uh, uh the podcast losing, um, uh, uh, shoot, um, Carl. Yeah. Carl. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, ha- ha- tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, that, that was definitely, uh, you know, a, a, a bittersweet and mixed moment because I originally went on the show as a guest to talk about the Hong Kong scene. And I, I think, the the plan was for me to come back on and do their sort of desert island lenses feature because mm-hmm. you're stuck on a desert island you know what cameras and lenses do you bring and after after Carl passed away so suddenly um, a few weeks later after uh, you know after the guys were able to sort of talk normally again mm-hmm. they reached out to me again and Simon when Simon did that I thought he was just asking me to come on to do desert island right uh, but then he was like no 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 we want you to join as a host. Oh, wow. And that that was both super cool because I love that podcast. Yeah. Um, but also in terms of timing, it was a little bit it was a little bit, you know, difficult. It, mm-hmm. I think it was it was interesting and fitting in a way, though, because it was all these weird coincidences, because the first show I went on as an official host, uh, my dad happened to be in Gainesville at the time, which is where Carl's yeah, from. Yeah. My dad mm-hmm. was there for the conference. Uh, and my my mom actually knew Carl because they're both in the same uh, line of research they both do like water quality marine biology kind of stuff wow and so they had actually met a couple of times at conferences uh so it, it seemed kind of you know serendipitous that all, all that happened but mm-hmm. yeah i joined and and it was uh it was pretty i, I think the hardest thing uh, other than dealing with the loss of carl was also juggling time zones and schedules because <laughs> yeah you guys are all over the planet right? yeah exactly yeah. you guys are you guys are on either side of the united states right but they've got uh we got UK, Chicago, and Hong Kong, so that's right. spanning the entire world, Sp- spanning the globe. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anything else you wanted to say, kind of about your getting into photography or and and or anything like that before we move on? Uh, no, I think that's cool. We don't we don't have to talk about my lens addiction. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure it'll come up. So, uh, 
Uh, well, that's a little bit about Perry, and we're going to learn a whole lot more because we have a, we have a ton of Facebook questions to him uh, as usual. So uh, uh, we'll go ahead and kind of get into our weeks here, and uh, so we can leave as much time as possible to get to as many questions as we can. So uh, uh, we'll start off as always with Mr. Andre Dominguez. How you doing, Andre? What have you been up to lately? Um, oh boy, I've actually been been pretty busy, uh, which is as as most of our listeners know, not a very common thing for me. Uh, <laughs> since getting this four by five camera a little while ago from from Brian Caparici, I've I've been you know practicing more with it, shooting a few sheets here and there. Uh, I you know got the the new enlarger. Um, I recently put together my little like mobile darkroom cart uh it's this you know little tool cart that i bought from harbor freight that the enlarger sits on top of and then all the stuff who told you to go to harbor freight well who didn't tell me that there was like an always running 20 percent coupon (laughs) (laughs) there's also a free flashlight coupon you missed out on you you never walk never walk out of harbor freight without a free flashlight Uh, uh, (laughs) you you uh, (laughs) did me dirty (laughs) Uh, but yeah, no, I'm I'm super excited about this little darkroom card. It it allows me to, you know, have the whole setup be pretty mobile, so that I can have everything out here in the living room out of the way. But anytime that I want to go and make some prints, I can just wheel it into the bathroom. Uh, you know, close the door, uh, shove a, a towel underneath the the bottom of the door frame if it's you know daytime. And, uh, yeah, been getting back into the whole darkroom printing game. Ended up reading, like, a (laughs) 500-page textbook called uh, Way Beyond Monochrome and uh, starting to to learn kind of some deeper aspects of split-grade printing and f-stop timing. I've got a a member of the NPP uh, community, Mr. Robert Scott Gravely, 3D printing me a localized test strip tool. Um, just diving in headfirst into all of this stuff. And uh, you did a little, uh, been a little, kind of, kind of been a little bit of a pop, uh, podcast tart here recently. Uh, I don't know. Just <laughs> appeared on another. Did a little moonlighting. What about that, yeah, Andre? I, I, uh, I was on the the large format photography podcast. They did a a pretty interesting setup where. You know, me coming coming at them as the as the four by five noob. Uh, <laughs> they they had a kind of like community Zoom call, like let's educate Andre type thing. Did we you say had... you went four by five nude? Is that... Is that what you <laughs> not did? yet, not yet. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, so I, I ended up you know learning from a lot of of. Uh, folks that have been on their podcast before or just kind of part of that large format photography podcast community. And then uh, I had my own 4x5 conversation with uh, Mr. Brian Caparicci and Chris Visser centered on, you know, our our recent uh, gear acquisition syndrome with Mm -hmm. regards to large format, as well as, you know, what are three different kind of approaches of how to get into large format. Uh, me, you know, operating with a press camera handheld, uh, Brian kind of going full out with uh, a field camera with movements, and uh, Chris Visser doing, you know, some indoor, uh, more like studio light type portraits. So uh, all interesting conversations all around. And for the first time in a long time, I actually feel like I'm, you know, becoming a better photographer. I'm thinking that 
a lot of the the challenges of large format and and seeing the consequences of not paying attention to some things and how difficult a print is uh, a negative is to print in the darkroom is having me kind of reevaluate a lot of decisions I make or you know make quite non unintentionally or, or you know uh, not very carefully mm-hmm. uh, and and it's it's cool it's it's cool to to feel like I'm I'm in a couple of completely new areas in film photography because I think most of us can kind of feel like a few years into it once we've we've you know done 35 millimeter and we've done medium format we develop and scan and stuff at home you can feel like you know there are some new cameras and uh, and lenses that you haven't tried but you've pretty much got things kind of down pat. Uh, feeling like I'm completely new at a bunch of stuff now and I'm having to learn a bunch of things from scratch is a really refreshing feeling. Mm-hmm. Well, I've noticed, uh, uh, I think you getting into large format has kind of re-energized you. I think anybody listens to this podcast has probably noticed that Andre and I have been slacking a lot over the last year and, uh, and it's not really has, hasn't necessarily been a lack of interest in photography. It's just been maybe a lack of motivation and sometimes a new, new gear or a new process can, can definitely uh, you know help the enthusiasm a little bit. I know just uh, just getting going down to Florida and getting out of my area a couple of weeks ago, and and shooting down there, just being in a different, entirely different town. Even though it's a town I've been to a, a bazillion times, uh, it, it definitely reinvigorated me a little bit. So I'm I'm kind of re-energized to get out and shoot more. So uh, and so I, I think it, it sometimes just going to a different place or getting new gear or trying new processes or whatever can can help that enthusiasm. So yeah. Yeah, and part sure. of the part of the joy of film photography is making things unnecessarily difficult for yourself, right? And, uh, <laughs> right, right. And, and large format, it, it, it embodies that better than anything else. <laughs> you're right. Well, you're I mean, that's that's one of the things that I, you know, the episode isn't going to come out for quite a while because, you know, Mike decided to record with uh, half the the film photography community <laughs> while he was off for work and and did about like thirty. Uh, solo show interviews. Well, quite thirty, but it, it, it might be a month or two when the uh, Chris Visser, Brian Caparici uh, airs. But yeah, it, it'll happen. But, it's in the queue. It's in the queue. But the the interesting thing that that we were kind of kind of comparing and contrasting was how different our our experiences with with large format have been so far. I took a, a couple of shots uh, at my local vintage watch dealer that just reopened here in in LA. Uh, and I shot, you know, it was two uh, sheets handheld where, you know, between pulling the camera out, uh, taking a meter reading, uh, I, I've got this little like laser uh, range finder tape measure thing, whatever you want to call it, and just kind of pop the laser on, on his shirt to, to figure out uh, how far away he was, just dialed that in on the, on the little focusing scale on the bed. Um, you know, set my my aperture and shutter speed, and, and fired off a couple of shots. One in in uh, landscape orientation, one in, in portrait orientation. Like it didn't feel like anything, you know, too too difficult or or, or different from what I'm used to to doing. So there's definitely ways to make large format this hoity-toity under the dark cloth, you know, spot meter off of the thing and you know, process like that. But one of the stuff that I'm, one of the things that I'm loving about using a press camera right now is that I absolutely can 
treat it just like a, a bigger, heavier version of, you know, the medium format and, and 35 millimeter cameras that I already own. There's not too, too much different if I'm not dealing with movements or, or anything like that. So you used a, a laser uh, to uh, get the uh, focus right? Yeah, it's something that I, I think I've brought up uh, probably way, way back, but I, I found on just Amazon, it's it's a tiny little thing uh, about, you know, the, the size, maybe like half the size of like a phone, uh, and you just press a button and it projects a laser out there, you press it again and it, it measures the distance and you can swap it between, you know, meters and, and feet, and uh, without wanting to, you know, go under the dark cloth or anything, I, and I haven't calibrated the rangefinder just yet, to be able to just kind of fire that off, see what the distance is, and dial that in on the on the focusing scale of the camera is a really quick way for me to shoot handheld, and it allowed me to uh, to be able to comfortably shoot at, you know, close to wide open. I was at f5.6, one fiftieth of a second indoors shooting uh, some FOMA Pan 400 pushed to 1600. So you probably don't want to use the laser to focus on their eyeball. Uh, uh, probably that, not. <laughs> yeah, you know. Or, or you can always do the old joke where you just like put the laser on their crotch. That's always funny. It's always funny. Uh, funny to do that. <laughs> uh, I don't think that would have done me many favors, but you know, just <laughs> figuring that that you know I was probably going to get focused if I just uh, put the little laser point at at. Uh, the owner's chest, uh, male okay. owner's chest. <laughs> I, I, I thought that I was going to be pretty safe. That, I mean, the thing functions basically like an external rangefinder, just an electronic one. But uh, yeah. th- those things, those things are cool because I, I know a guy here who uses them for uh, for Instax. Um, I should I should clarify because <laughs> there we got these Instax. Well, I've got this Instax wide body that's been modified. Uh, with a distance scale and a, a medium format lens on the front um, so that you get, you know, a real lens on an Instax camera and it looks awesome. But it's scale focus only, so you got to use either a, an external rangefinder or one of those, exactly what you're talking about, the laser distance measure thingy. Yeah, the mm. only downside is that if you are shooting, you know, outdoors on a really bright sunny day with a, with a busy background, you're obviously not going to be able to see where the little laser point is. Yeah. So... You know, for, for me, uh, right now, I'm using it for, you know, indoor portraits or, or portraits where I'm kind of close enough to the person to be able to see where it is. But it, it's not going to be an option for, you know, just sort of general walk around photography. Right. I mean, it's, it's interesting, Andre, that you talk about shooting the press camera the way that you would just shoot any of your other cameras. Because um, I, I think there's often a bit of a push and pull with that where... You know, you, you you want to either find the right tool for the job or just shoot what you would normally want to shoot with whatever camera you're trying to play with. But at the same time, the the gear that you choose or the camera that you choose to shoot with can, I find, often shape the way that you are. Um, you know, it shapes the way that you look at the world and therefore it can shape the way that you decide what sort of photos to take. Because, like, I've been oh, shooting a lot with, sure. with a, with a uh, Roloflex lately. And I'm finding that if I'm trying to shoot the kind of stuff that I would normally shoot with, like, my rangefinders, uh, it, it doesn't work as well. And sort of it, it's pushing me to shoot more um, different styles of photos that are working really well in the format. Mm, mm. Definitely. I mean, it, it's 
it's something that I that I find myself doing kind of the exact same thing. A, a, a Roloflex with a waist level finder and a Hasselblad with a waist level finder are not too, too different of, of cameras, but I, I find myself gravitating more towards, you know, uh, still uh, images and landscapes and kind of, you know, our architecture stuff. Whereas the Roloflex, I, I gravitate towards shooting people with it you know it's yeah it's something interesting and with the press camera the same thing could i put that thing on a tripod get underneath the the dark cloth or in my case a, a hoodie and you know walk around town taking uh photos like that sure but that's not the kind of photography that i i really want to be doing with that camera and i've done a little bit of that i've exposed a few sheets with that style of photography and it just made me think you know, I I don't want to do that with this camera. I want to have this either be the kind of thing where I'm walking down the street and somebody's like, whoa, what the hell is that? Strike up a conversation, you know, pull out a few four by five contact prints of, you know, portraits that I've taken of, of other strangers and then you have them, whip uh, out, right? Uh, of course, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta whip it out. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it, the, I, I'm a hundred percent sure now having kind of experimented with, with large format for a little bit, that it is not going to be my only large format camera. Uh, I'm, I'm actually looking at a, a chroma, uh, carbon adventure from, uh, our, our good friend, Steve Lloyd over in the UK, probably sometime next year. Uh, just because it, it's a completely different uh, style of of camera, and I've I've got a a Cameradactyl OG coming from uh, Ethan Moses over at Cameradactyl. That even something like that, you know, a a four and by four by five uh, wide angle point and shoot. That is also something that's going to be very different because that, although it could seem similar to how I'm I'm shooting the the press camera, the fact that it's a wide angle lens. And it, it doesn't look like this old, uh, you know, piece of, of vintage machinery makes me not want to shoot people with that. That I actually want to, uh, you know, do a little bit more of like, well, what would look cool with wide angle in, in a city? I'm not going to be doing portraits with that. I might do some like candid street photography with that, um, but not like a posed portrait so i absolutely uh, agree with you that the camera that you're using can have a huge influence on what kind of photography you want to do even if it's something that you would think that two cameras being pretty similar to one another they might you know contribute to similar kinds of photography at least in my experience uh they can be quite vastly different well, it's good. It sounds sounds like you're you're all in because to me, I, I and I warned uh, Simon Forster of this uh, because uh, we all know that you only took up pinhole photography to to make it on the Lensless podcast. So I figured this was just a ruse to get on to the large format photography podcast. And once you made your appearance there, you would get out of four by five. But uh, it was, but it, it sounds like you're all in. So uh, like you actually I mean, might. St- <laughs> they 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 gave me, Andrew in particular gave me a lot of shit for that when I. <laughs> 
when I came on the large format uh, right. of photography right. podcast. And like to a point, I can't blame him. You know, I, I bought a a pinhole camera, and then I asked to to be on the. Well, I wasn't like, hey, can I be on the podcast? I struck up a conversation and kind of made some some hints that I thought it would be a, a cool angle to have a, somebody that was completely new. And I basically did the exact same thing now with large format. And uh, while my pinhole career met its end uh, a little over a year ago, I, I don't see the same thing happening with with large format. It's it's just been so much fun, and the negatives are so beautiful. Uh, and and contact printing four by five negatives in in particular seems like such a and and i've done a little bit of it seems like such a fun and easy and interesting way of presenting those photos to to people that like i i don't see myself jumping ship anytime soon but you know if i do andrew uh <laughs> will be able to say i told you so so there's that well uh perry i i talked to simon i had a conversation on a uh, messenger or something like that and um it looks like uh, there's going to be a possibility of me coming on Classic Lenses <laughs> podcast oh, at some sweet. point. We we have, we we have, we we had some we made up some subjects where it would make sense for me to be on there basically. And the reason why is like I, I've got to keep up with Andre. He's been on more podcasts than I have, and I I, I can't let that happen. <laughs> so I, I, I've got to. <laughs> Kind of got to got to muscle my way into a couple of these other other shows. So, uh, but but uh, all right. Well, yeah, Andre's we, pretty we can much gush about the Pentax six seven together. There you go. That's I actually have. That's actually one of the questions I want to talk about. So, uh, but uh, but but all right. Uh, but, uh, all right. Uh, Andre's that pretty much you. Yep. All right, Roxana Angles. What have you been up to? Well, other than uh, losing my internet today and almost not being on the show, <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she's actually on her phone now. She's on a she's on a floaty floating in her pool uh, with a with a cocktail. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it's a. Uh... There you go. <laughs> a great visual. <laughs> so yeah, um, I'm I'm happy though that I was able to come on. I'm super excited about tonight, mm. and um, but it was a good week. Actually, it was a good couple of weeks i forget that we're not on um every week nor have <laughs> i ever but you know i'd like to pretend that i am <laughs> and <laughs> well you actually uh, you actually did a little solo show interview too you, you uh, submitted to me in the last week so i got uh both co-captains stepping up to the plate with some with some interviews so yeah uh, that's right that's right it was so much fun i can ken bertram right ken yeah. bertram and mm -hmm. it was such a blast he is such a fun guy to talk to and our views just align so amazingly he's just it was just way too much fun mm. and funny enough he's actually donated again to my program right before i did the interview he sent over uh a whole bunch of that Yodica film and some oh, wow. point and shoots um, knowing because I told them, I'm like, I can't teach these kids right now during this pandemic um, SLRs because mm -hmm. I can't be in the same room. So it's right, like, right. so he sent over some point and shoots and some of this fun film that I can uh, uh, hand over to some of these kids who are at home. So that was a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. Then right after the interview, he sent over some prints. I didn't realize that he does those cyanotypes and he sent a few of those and a few of his um, Loma Chrome purple shots and, 
you know, I'm going to send him over some of my Joshua Tree stuff. So awesome. it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of getting good stuff in the mail, I want to make sure you guys got this because I know she was sending it. Did you all both get Wendy Gunnarsson zine? I was just about to say. Oh, okay, good, good. good. <laughs> I, I did, yeah. I want to give her props. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No. And not only did I get one zine, I got three. And Whoa. yeah, she loves me more. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, it, it was really cool because I was talking about um, I, some episodes ago, I was talking about what what zine, how people are printing their zines. And she went ahead and she labeled each one of her beautiful zines mm. um, with where, what type of paper, um, what binding. I mean, the details are just amazing. I haven't had a chance. I, I was about to do an Insta story about it because all three of these are so gorgeous. So that yeah, she's, is to come. She, she excels at the travel photography thing. She has that oh like lockdown. Gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's beautiful, and mm-hmm. I, I was blown away by all three of them. So, you know, stay tuned to my Insta story because I will be showing you guys the visual because it's just, it's gorgeous. Wendy, thank you so much. Um, awesome. Yeah, and I also, Brian and I went up to the high desert to go shoot, and guess who also met up with us was mike kukavica oh nice the, the <laughs> yeah. drunk the drunk dark room on instagram yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> and he gave me one of his prints but we you know i showed him around uh pioneer town with brian and we went over to peppy and harriet's and grabbed a bite to eat with the brew so that was a lot of fun too. Awesome. And um, yeah, and the last thing I swear I my mine is always so long. I have so much going on. <laughs> <laughs> is um, I did also a little print exchange with Suzanne Lopez, and um, so that was a lot of fun too. She sent over like six really amazing prints, and I'm going to be sending her some. I have like. All this stuff I have to send out in the mail and I haven't done it yet because I've been so swamped at work. I haven't even left the house. It's crazy. So. I, I, I have a, I have like two pages in a notebook of uh, things that uh, a list of things that everybody uh, things people have sent me that I keep meaning to like go through that list and start sending things back to as like a thank you. And uh, I'm a little bit behind. I'm about three years behind maybe. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, well, I'm just yeah. <laughs> I know. I still have to send out my... Um, my print and my letter for the pen pal. Yeah, yeah, the P- P- Donald, I haven't yeah. done that either. I have, so I haven't done I'm sorry. That's surprised no one. But uh, uh, Andre, do you want to give any props to Wendy about that while we're while we're on that subject? Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, contacted her in in private to to thank her for it. I especially love, and I'm I'm sure that you guys have both kind of touched on this before, but uh, she included a little like sticky note on there. With mm-hmm. the specific, um, like, specifications of, like, the paper that she chose, uh, which I thought was super, you know, helpful. kind of yeah. her and, mm-hmm. and helpful. Because I've, I've as much as I loved uh, the, the wonderful copy of Plastic Beach that I received <laughs> from uh, the, the lovely mm-hmm. Mr. Mike Gutterman, uh, mm-hmm. printed on none other than the HP Instant Ink printer, uh, the, the Mixam... Um, it's 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 a step above. <laughs> it, it, it's quite quite good. So that was really cool to to be able to kind of know what what paper and and uh, and decisions were 
were made on the creation side. Uh, so for any kind of future uh, zines, like who, who knows? Maybe I'll do one with uh, you know some some large format images as there I kind go. of get new into into this new area of film photography. I've already got some great recommendations thanks to Wendy uh, about you know different papers to choose and, and options to go with on top of the fact that just seeing more of her travel photography is always such a joy. Well, look forward to uh, Andre's first scene, Andre at large. That'll be uh, <laughs> I kind of like that. <laughs> there you go. See, here we go. I'm already helping out, brother. But, uh, we have uh, a name. <laughs> Roxanne, anything else from you? Oh, let me see here. I think um, other than shooting still and, you know, going out in the hot, hot heat, getting out of town. Yeah, just keeping busy. Ah. So. I'll leave it to you now, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it to Perry because it gives me some time to think about what what I've done. So, Perry, what, what have you been up to lately? <laughs> Ooh, uh, I've been shooting a lot, nonstop. I mean, you, but you always shoot a lot, though, right? You're you're pretty you're pretty good about staying regimented in this, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. I mean, I I shoot um, back in the in the before times. I would shoot, you know, a, a roll or two a week on the weekends. Um, or before that, I, I would do quite a lot of the protest coverage in Hong Kong when it was still going on. These days, because schedules are sort of thrown up in the air, um, like my, my day job, I run a teaching business. Um, so all my classes are on Zoom now, mm. and that means there's less commuting time, but it also means I can kind of juggle my schedules around and give me, give me a little bit more free time. So, I, yeah, I've been, I've been shooting nonstop, you know, three or four days a week. I think I'm averaging like maybe four or five rolls a week. Um, and sometimes, sometimes I wow. spend, uh, sometimes I'll have more than one development session in a day, which was yesterday. I got up at 4.30 a.m. yesterday to shoot the good morning light, came back, developed my film, went to sleep, and then <laughs> took a nap, got up, went out, shot another roll of film, came back and developed that. So yeah, it's been, it's been a bit of a rhythm of uh, shooting nonstop, but it's been good. Because huh. I've been, you know, as if you listen to the Classic Lenses podcast, you'll know that we're currently the classic TLR podcast. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. Because I've been shooting a bunch with the Rolleiflex, and it's it's just been it's been a kind of transformational experience. Um, which, I think which is, I think Johnny I think Johnny actually said one of the questions to him on the show a couple weeks ago was if he only had to choose one camera. I think he actually chose a, a Rolleiflex. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense, you know, because it. Oh, by I've the way, had, by the way, know, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so we got kicked off Skype there, so this might be some editing, but uh, we, we were talking about Roly, Roly, and uh, your love for those Perry and how Johnny uh, actually said that was his uh, that one camera if he only had to choose one camera. So that's kind of where we were at before Skype uh, got got uh, got evil with us. Yeah, your your Roly voice was too high pitched. It just killed <laughs> killed the connection. That must have been it. <laughs> No, but it, it's um, I've had TLRs for a while, and and I just never really shot them that much. And a, a couple of I don't know if it was months or weeks ago, I I went out for a shoot with uh, my girlfriend and a couple of her friends, and I brought my roller cord, mm-hmm. and I was just so happy with the shots that I got after that shoot that yeah, I ended up picking up Rolleiflex, and it it's such a different shooting experience for a couple reasons. I think it number one, as Andre was talking about, you know when you're carrying a cool looking vintage camera, it's a conversation starter. 
Yeah. And my my Chinese is terrible, so uh, I typically don't have a lot of conversations with the people who I shoot. I, I wish I would have more. But shooting with a Rolleiflex, people are coming up to me and saying, like, yo, cool Rolleiflex. I used to have one of those. Um, and just letting me photograph them. So... <laughs> As an example of how bad my Chinese is, by the way. Well, speaking of your Chinese, could, is it, how, how would you say in, in Chinese, negative positives won the gold medal? Uh, how would you, uh, would you be able to say that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to say that. Uh, plus, well, I could, I, I could swear in Chinese and you wouldn't know, right? Uh, yeah, that's true. I would not. <laughs> you could say anything. I believe you had it right. So, uh, but... <laughs> No, I actually have no idea. My Chinese is that bad. Uh, like the other morning, I was out in the neighborhood, and I was on the last frame of my roll, and I took a I took a photo of this car, this old Mercedes that was in front of an auto repair shop. Uh-huh. And of course, the best photo appears after you're done the roll because I stand up, I turn around, and there's this auto repair guy, this topless mechanic, um, who's like smiling at me and and pointing at my camera and talking to me, uh-huh. and he he says something that in Chinese that I thought meant. I thought he was saying Hong Kong is a photographic paradise, eh? And I was like, oh, yeah, man, it's great. Uh, you know, what makes you say that? He pointed at a pile of dog shit in front of his shop. <laughs> and I thought what he was saying uh, was, you know, I thought he was making a joke saying like, hey, see, it's a photographic paradise. There's dog shit everywhere. Right. Uh, and so I, I kept sort of trying to continue this line of inquiry because I was, I was thinking to myself, man, this would be such a good portrait of this dude, but I don't mm-hmm. have any film left, but I'm not just going to walk away because of that. And he just kept repeating the same thing and pointing at this pile of dog shit. And I just kept saying, like, oh, you know, can you, can you develop that point more? Right. <laughs> I, I, went, I went and had lunch with my girlfriend afterwards, and I told her about this encounter. And she told me that the phrase he said did not mean Hong Kong is a photographic paradise. The phrase he said just meant there's dog shit everywhere. <laughs> Watch. <laughs> he was just trying to get me to, to, to not step in it accidentally because I was like walking around with a camera and not really looking. So in hindsight, that conversation must have been so weird for him. Right. Because right. he was just telling me that there was there was crap all over the place. And I was saying, that's awesome, man. That's so cool. <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> Uh, nice. Well, you know, he was trying. He was trying to help you out, but uh, you just uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I mean, back to Rolleiflexes. Um, the the two. I think the two things that I find really good about shooting this camera on the street are number one, because you're looking down into the waist level finder and you're not, you know, pointing at your subject or you know staring at someone when you're taking a photo. People tend not to care. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it also disarms you as a photographer. Uh, to a certain degree. And unlike something like a Hasselblad with a mirror, the shutter is so quiet that you can be a little more candid and subtle. Even though they know you're there, you're pointing a camera at them, they don't really care and they don't really know when you've taken the photo. So they're not reacting or covering their face or looking at you or trying to strike up a conversation. Mm -hmm. So I managed to get some photos recently that I'm just so happy with. Um, Either portraits of people who have, you know, I've been chatting to because of the camera or candidates of people going about their day where I'm able to get really close um, and they're not really reacting in any way. So that, that's been mm. awesome. Very cool. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I need to shoot some TLR photos. I'm, <laughs> I think I'm too late, but Dan Novak had the TLR uh, uh, challenge going and um, 
I had three months to do it, and I, I've just been so – they're so foreign to me that I just I, – I, I took it down to Florida with me. I was like, I'm going to shoot all three rows here. I just never did break it out. And the one thing I've noticed is like a lot of times uh, – like I, I did take my like my little brownie Hawkeye, which is not a TLR, but you still look through the top of it, the little tiny little window, the same way you would a TLR. And like mm. I took some – I tried to take some shots with it. I realized I can't take a shot. Uh, like looking down steps with this thing because I can I can no longer see the <laughs> <laughs> see the window anymore. Yes. And I was like, yeah, that, that's this camera's not going to work for this shot. So, uh, uh, yeah, that's it, it, again going back to uh, you know cert- the certain styles of cameras will definitely definitely influence the way you shoot because there's some things you just can't do on a TLR. So oh, I, I learned that. Yeah, totally. Same thing happened to me a couple weeks ago. I was shooting um some morning swimmers because early in the morning there's a bunch of old people who go and do open sea swimming near my neighborhood Mm. and they're they're getting into the water through this staircase that goes down um it's kind of like a public pier Mm. i was trying to point this tlr down to photograph them as they're jumping into the water right and i mean i was an idiot because there's a sports finder and i should have just used that yeah yeah ended up you know trying to contort my body and almost falling into the (laughs) ocean trying to look down (laughs) the top of this tlr <laughs> right right yeah it's a it's a, it was kind of a hard lesson i had to learn there but uh, it's, it's uh, funny that you guys mentioned that because like in the past i would say maybe year and a half to two years i've been shooting my rolleiflex almost exclusively with the prism finder uh because it, it's it's such a people camera to me and <laughs> I stand at at a very short five foot four inches. <laughs> Even just yesterday, when I was kind of organizing some negatives, looking at you know street portraits that I that I you know used to take when I shot at waist level versus now, it's just night and day difference. And while you don't have that more kind of uh, clandestine uh, shooting experience of of looking down at the camera, I, I've personally found my photography getting better since uh shooting my tlr with the prism finder mm. i can see how that'd be helpful yeah yeah mm-hmm. all right well uh i think well perry is that pretty much uh what you've you been up to yeah pretty much just shooting awesome well uh i guess i'll go ahead and get my week out real quick because we want to leave as much time as we as we can for these facebook uh, questions we have because we have a lot of them so uh uh Basically, I got uh, I've got all my black and white and C41 uh, film developed uh, uh, from my Florida trip and and a couple of rolls that I had before uh, pre Florida or whatever. So I got all that and got it all scanned. I haven't like got them all like edited and all that in, in Photoshop, like just basic levels, corrections and stuff. But uh, the one thing, but I still have like uh, 10, 10, 11, maybe twelve rows of slide film that I'm going to develop. I wanted to do this weekend, but I got caught trying to. I had to put a new attic lighter in the garage uh, in the Gutterman Cave this weekend, and it took up the whole weekend. Uh, that project was, uh, hey, if you ever try to put in an attic ladder uh, and you watch the YouTube videos, uh, it's not as easy as those videos make it look. I'm just just going to throw that out there. and <laughs> and But I'm glad to have this thing installed because it's way more sturdy. And if you guys remember months and months ago, uh, uh, I fell out of this attic about eight foot from, uh, from the top of the ladder to the floor. This one is much more stable, so maybe I will uh, not have that happen again. But that took up most of my weekend, so I didn't get to the slide film this weekend. I'll get to it next weekend, I guess. But out of the, the stuff that I have developed, 
and uh, kind of got some uh, just basic previews of on uh, through uh, Photoshop and stuff. Uh, one thing I'll say, and I'm going to give props here to uh, to uh, a certain company that Andre works for. Uh, that some of the pen, out of the Pentax six seven shots of like family portraits that I took down there. Uh, man, the Cinestill fifty D is the first time I ever shot that film, and uh, I showed my wife the photos from the uh, the Pentax six seven with the the one hundred five famous two point four lens uh, shot with the fifty D, and she's like, uh, "I'm a Cinestill fan," and I'm so I was like, "Well, I'll tell Andre that you said that just to warm warm his heart." Ted, but uh, but yeah, that, that's in a still 50D, man. I went to shoot more. I only shot one roll of it down there, and I wish I'd shot more because there was plenty of light. Uh, the 50 ISO was definitely not a problem down there, but uh, just the way they came out, I was really, really impressed. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm gonna have to uh, shoot a little more 50D in my future, especially if I've got, got enough light for it. I was, I was really impressed with that film, Audrey. So there you go. Yeah, it's the, it's the sleeper hit that a lot of people don't, you know, pay enough attention to. It's a beautiful, beautiful film stock. Mm hmm. And like I was talking to you, uh, Andre and I had a conversation last night and uh, um, I was telling him about it. And, you know, the thing about it was like I was taking these shots. It was like the sun was going down. It was like sunset time. And normally we'd kind of get like a really warm light. But uh, we had some clouds kind of come over the sunset on that particular evening. I was taking those shots. And, you know, it, it, there was, it was a little bit of a bluish, like a cooler cast uh, to it than what I would maybe see from Portia or, or definitely like Ektar or anything like that. But I can't blame the film because I think that was actually the light that I had. And I kind of like the way they came out. They came out a little cooler than I'm used to, uh, maybe as far as like a film selection for portraits or whatever. But I really kind of like the way that it really came out. I, I'm I'm debating about whether I'll even try to warm it up a little bit in Photoshop because I easily, easily I could. But I kind of like the way it looked, man. It kind of had like a, a, a different look to it. And honestly, I, I think the film just managed to capture like what the light was like it. You know, it didn't it didn't it just hey, this is the light you're shooting and this is what you're getting. Like, so I, I, I sort of see I think it's kind of a more of a what you see is what you get kind of film. Am I correct with that assumption there, Andre? I mean, yeah, pretty much. It's 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 pretty neutral uh, tone. So it's it's not going to exaggerate the saturation the way that like ektar will or mm -hmm. you know not kind of get your your nice vibrant scene and make it bland and pastelly like portrait 400 oh, overexposed bland. Couple stops. Man. man shots fired on portrait there <laughs> bland really? um, i'm not a huge fan <laughs> <laughs> all right well yeah so i i i, I do i see that as a film i'm, I'm wanting to um experiment with more in the, in the future and uh uh so yeah i'm um, looking forward to getting the rest of these stuffs uh the stuff developed and, and, and see it all that's kind of the, the fun thing about like um uh and i'm not you know i hate to make this a film digital thing or whatever but like it is kind of cool like you come back from a vacation you got all these rolls of film i can't remember how you shot it, it was like it was around 20 something rolls i shot in, in that one week I don't know, maybe it was something like that and uh maybe it was 17 i don't know I don't know the exact number, but I came on with a lot of film and like developing it a couple weeks after you get home and, and seeing it, you almost kind of get to like relive the vacation a little bit. And I kind of really enjoyed that. I like the uh, the kind of waiting to see what you got, you know, and uh, there's just a, there's just a fun to that. And it's almost like, um, I don't know, just something about it just really thrills me. But um, whereas like the, the shots we took on digital, we saw them immediately and like, I honestly, I haven't looked at those photos since we got back. Like it's, it's just very strange. I don't know why that my mind works that way, but it just seems, seems to do that. But, 
Anyway, yeah, the, that's the delayed gratification is always yeah, fun, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like I don't, I don't know. And, and I will admit, I made some mistakes, you know. Uh, and I'm sure when I develop the slide film, I'm probably going to see even more mistakes because it's a little less forgiving about you know uh, latitude and stuff. But I made some mistakes. I I made a lot of focusing errors uh, on my anything I had to manually focus, which is just telling me my eyes are not getting better. And uh, it's thus my appreciation for autofocus is is growing. Uh, but uh, and if I'd shot those on digital, I'd have been like, yeah, that's blurry. I, I need to do that again. And so, so that's that's the downside of it. Like sometimes like, man, I wish that shot wouldn't. I wish I'd nailed the focus on that one because that was a great shot. I wish I'd nailed it. And sometimes I didn't. But, you know, hey, it's uh, all part of the fun of film. Right. Again, like uh, let's just make this as hard as we can on our, ourselves because uh, so we get some sort of satisfaction out of it. <laughs> but, yeah. All right. Well, well it's, it's, I think- Mike, it's, it's cool. It's cool that you've um, you've been shooting that Cinestill stuff because. You know, I, I think the first time I talked to Andre, I was I was fanboying a little bit because uh-huh. um, I'm just addicted to Cinestill films. Uh, I mean, mostly 800T, but 50D is lovely as well. Uh-huh. And it, it's one of those films where the selection of lens makes a massive, massive difference. And I've been okay. going, Andre, I think I asked you about this and you, you didn't really give me an answer. Um, but you, you know, if you if you talk uh, to I'm cinematog- remembering, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you talk to cinematographers, right? They they are uh, they're really picky about the lens characteristics that um, they're looking for when they put together a set for recording. Mm-hmm. And with with Cinestill, it, unlike Kodak uh, Vision Three Five Hundred T, which I find works better with like quote unquote bad lenses, um, mm-hmm. Cinestill looks really good with more uh, you know modern sharper lenses, but also if you're using old uncoated lenses or things like that, you can really push that cinematic look. And okay. I have been going down this rabbit hole for maybe years now uh, where I've been just trying different lenses with Cinestill and just being absolutely delighted with the different looks um, and the extent to which the looks are dramatically different. So I've been asking Andre, you know, like, yo, dude, what kind of lenses do you guys use in in the office to, to, <laughs> to push that look. And he was like, well, what, are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the sad thing also is that like, you know, none of us really shoot all that much in general. And when we do shoot, it's not all the time, you know, Cinestill or not even necessarily super duper often that we, mm-hmm. that we shoot Cinestill like 800 T I love 800 T, but I just don't shoot it much myself personally. It's it's uh it, it's not a stock that that frequently finds itself into my camera bag with a, with a couple of like very specific exceptions. Uh, so I, I remember you know asking Perry some questions about the the little Leica uh, LTM lens that I ended up settling on, and mm-hmm. him making some comments of like, oh man, that would look great with 800T, and just me thinking, well. I don't see myself shooting any 800T with this lens for a long time. <laughs> well, you got so you got so much sun there, man. Like 800's not going to come, yeah, uh, yeah. Unless you're shooting at night, it's not really going to be or indoors. It's not really probably a, a really good stock for you, I guess. But uh, uh, but Perry, did you see like uh, you've probably shot? I've only shot one roll of 50D, and I mean, you've probably you've probably shot more 50D than Andre has. <laughs> but so do you, do you find it to be kind of a very neutral film as far as like what you see is what you get? Cause that's, that's, that's my initial impression after one row. Well, I mean, cause it's, because it's daylight balance, the kind of mm-hmm. color palette is more normal in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but okay. at the same time, it still has that cinematic um, sort of contrast and tone curve, which you can tell it's a, it's a, uh, it's a cinema film. 
mm-hmm. and not like a normal color film, even though the color balance looks, yeah, as you say, what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes but, sense. But, Makes sense. But but I shoot I shoot 800T a lot more because Hong Kong at night uh, is just perfect for that stuff because it's, oh. if you're in the dense areas, the, the more modern areas, it's got a really Blade Runner-y vibe. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. But then we've got the older areas with neon signs and a lot of, I think I think the stuff really shines in mixed lighting, especially when you've got warm and cool playing off each other. Mm. And Hong Kong at actually around six thirty p.m. I call it Cinestill o'clock uh, in Hong Kong because <laughs> because the, the there's still a little bit of light in the sky, but it's really cool. So yeah. any residual daylight is super blue on eight hundred T. And then when you but that's also when the street lights and the kind of shops and neon signs also turn on their evening lights. And mm. so you've got a really cool light coming from the ambient, uh, but then often much warmer, colorful light coming from, um, you know, your foreground and midground. And it's it's stunning. It's gorgeous. Especially uh, when you factor in the fact that the halation is going to come in as red. So if yes. you've got your ambient uh, still, you know, daylight, you know, coming out cool toned, and then you've got your halation around the point light sources coming in as red, it actually, you know, plays with 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 your with your head a little bit in in a ways of like you know those primary colors look really well kind of juxtaposed against each other bingo Mm. and and one of the things with color photography um that i find shooting you know normally in the daytime is unless you have a dominant color or a couple of you know uh harmonious or complementary colors playing off each other it can be very chaotic um shooting color in the daytime yeah that's a good point yeah Mm mm-hmm but with Cinestill, um, it the with Cinestill, it, it when you shoot it at night, I, I find that the shadows are a little bit too dark, and so the contrast between like the artificial light and then the dark areas, I'm not a huge fan of that look, which is why I tend to gravitate towards lower contrast lenses with it. But at at Cinestill o'clock, the the ambient light kind of fills out those shadows a bit. And you get more of that cinematic look because the blacks aren't going to, you know, jet black. And I think that's the best time to shoot Cinestill. It's gorgeous. Mm. And you mentioned Blade Runner. And there's no way I would ever make a list of my top movies where Blade Runner would not be in the top five. So I'm just saying. But uh, if you haven't seen Blade Runner, Runner, you got to see that movie, right? So, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think uh, that's pretty much our weeks. And this has been a long first segment. And so we're cutting into our our valuable Facebook question time. So let's let's go and uh, take us a a little break here and uh, we'll get to the Facebook questions in the next uh, segment. So uh, we'll take a little break here, folks, and uh, we'll be right back. We have uh, questions to Perry from the Negative Positive Film Photography Podcast Facebook group. And again, as always, you guys come through with flying colors. Tons of questions. We'll try to get through as many of them as we can uh, without the show being four hours long. So uh, let's, let's see what we can get through here. So, uh, uh, Andre, what do you got first? 
So we've got a question here from Peter Planta, who says, being an Asian Canadian myself, I was wondering what it was like moving away from Canada to an Asian country. What took the most adjusting to and what cultural practice do you wish Canadians would adopt? Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a little bit weird for me because I, I grew up in Edmonton, then I moved to Hong Kong and then I moved back to Canada. I'm back in Hong Kong. So there wasn't really that much of an adjustment because I was already used to this place. Um, I mean, the, the what took the most adjusting to, I think, photographically, I already talked about shooting, kind of not looking for the beauty in images so much. Uh, other than that, I miss fishing a lot. Mm. Um, and what cultural practice do I wish Canadians would adopt? I wish I wish Hong Kong would adopt a lot more Canadian cultural practices. But I guess the one in Canada that I wish they would adopt more regularly is taking off your shoes before you walk into the house. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can think of. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't know. I'm sure you guys are aware of this, but like, you know, you always hear the the, the old uh, stereotype of Canadians just being just so nice. So, so yeah, maybe it's. True. it's <laughs> and and from what I've seen, I, I can I can't debate that that stereotype. So there you go. <laughs> Although you know, it, it's also a city thing because the bigger the city you live in, the more kind of dehumanizing it is because there's so many people around. Right. And so Toronto is noticeably less friendly than other parts of Canada. Uh, mm. It's like New York in many ways. But last last summer, my girlfriend and I were on a road trip across the east coast of Canada, and she has lived in Hong Kong pretty much all her life, and it really showed. Because we were in this tiny little town uh, in Cape Breton Island in Nova Scotia. And we we're stopping into a drugstore to pick up some supplies for the rest of the drive. And as we were going out, this, this really nice guy just started striking up a conversation with us. Uh-huh. And instantly, I, I felt her hand kind of like tighten around mine. And I knew exactly what was going mm-hmm. on. Like she Made her nervous. Used, yeah, she's right. not used to random people just chatting with you. And she thinks right. he's either going to you know, try to scam us or ask us for right. money at the end, right, right, which is right. exactly what was happening. But I was like, no, 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 this is small town Canada. This is totally normal. Right. <laughs> but he did end up asking you for money? No, no, no. He taught at the local university and was just, you know, wanted to see where we were from and what we were doing in uh, Cape Breton Island. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> I thought I thought this I thought this I thought this story was going to turn south real quick, but uh, <laughs> that's just me being uh, living in Louisville, I think. But uh, um, all right. So uh, what we got up next? All right. Up next, I'm going to um, ask Bill two question, which actually he just joined TikTok with me. Thank you, Bill. Oh, there you go. You're starting to start to build the film photography TikTok army. Uh, I see. Hell you know? yeah. So yeah, I um, I just had to say he joined me, um, and he says, "May you live in interesting times." Isn't actually Chinese, but it's a damn good curse. What will you take away photographically from this period we are going through? Yeah, I I really like this question. And I I thought about this quite a bit because, you know, obviously 2020 is weird, but in Hong Kong, it feels like a continuation of an ongoing process where Mm -hmm. the weirdness has been, it kind of started last year with our mass protests and the sort of subsequent government uh, crackdown. And, you know, I, I think for me, there was a bit of a turning point last year when I was covering a lot of the protests. Um, and, I got, and then I spent a few months trying to avoid getting tear gassed. Uh, and then I got tear gassed. And then it just kept happening. And I got tear gassed over and over and over again while, while photographing these protests. 
And when when we when the coronavirus hit us in uh, late January is when it started, the everyone started wearing masks, and I started photographing that, and it that just seems normal now. And I started mm-hmm. trying to figure out, you know, what 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 kinds of things I could shoot when there's all these empty streets. So, for example, I was going to the airport and shooting the airport when it was completely deserted. And the after photographing this for up, it's been over a year now because the unrest started in July. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my big takeaway is to use my fear as a gauge for the quality of my photos. <laughs> Let me explain because that might sound a little weird. Um, because, you know, when when people are starting out with street photography, one of the things that they talk about a lot is the fear yeah. of approaching people, photographing people and whatnot. But I've come to realize that, you know, I, I get that still. I still get that fear and anxiety about taking certain photographs. But I balance that against my desire to take the shot and my sort of instinct on how good a shot is. And when I feel that the fear level is extremely high, but my desire to take the shot is stronger than the fear... Uh, then I know it's going to be a good photo. Mm. Um, so, for example, you know, last year there was a time when I was literally just in my neighborhood uh, and I was out getting dinner and a bunch of police were there and the the residents were kind of heckling them and trying to get them to go away because they were trying to shut down a memorial um, to a student who had died in a in a uh, encounter with the cops. And mm. as we were out there getting dinner, as the cops were driving away, they just fired a bunch of tear gas canisters into into the neighborhood. And so we started running. And then I stopped and I was like, I stopped and I said to my girlfriend, hold on. This is a really good, this is a really good photo op. <laughs> so <laughs> right. so I, turn, I turn around, I whip out my camera and I start taking photos before I get a face full of tear gas. And it, it was painful, but in hindsight, I'm really glad I took those photos. Uh, so for me, that's the big kind of photographic takeaway to um, t- to use the feeling of fear and anxiety as a signal to assess how good a photo is actually going to be. That's that's, that's, a, that's, an interesting, uh, that's, yeah, that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about it in that way because there are times where I've been nervous about like taking a certain shot or whatever. And, and I, I generally always – those shots, I've always – been kind of glad that I took afterwards. So yeah. it, it maybe wasn't maybe wasn't that comfortable then, but but afterwards you're like, man, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I kind of got through uh, whatever I was feeling at that point. But uh, but yours is obviously uh, uh, definitely more elevated with what's going on over there. But like I, I should I should mention, uh, you did a solo uh, kind of show for Classic Lenses where oh yeah uh, during the kind of a height when things were really kind of elevating there with a lot of the protests and stuff. And uh, if 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 any listeners of the show have not listened to that episode. I, I think you definitely should check that out. Uh, it was extremely moving and enlightening because uh, I think a lot of people maybe don't realize uh, just from just from our news over here in the West or whatever what all exactly is going on and just how serious it is. I think and uh, to me, I learned some things from it and I just it's, it was a great episode. And honestly, you should probably win. Like I don't is there a podcast award for? Um, uh, I, don't <laughs> for I don't I don't know what kind of award it would be. Maybe it's just called a. Uh, I don't know, a potty or something, but uh, <laughs> you get the potty award. <laughs> I, 
don't know. But uh, that that definitely, if you haven't listened to that episode, check that out. Uh, what was kind of your thoughts when you when did, did was that something you wanted to do, or did the other guys from Classic Lenses ask you to do that that episode, or how did that come about? Because yeah, that that was around episode ninety something. Um, it was very spontaneous because I had had the most traumatic week. Uh, in Hong Kong in terms of photographing um, and, and sort of the escalation of the unrest um, uh-huh. and, the, and the violence. And I, it, it was, I really didn't know how to talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. Um, and then we had just something happened. Either Johnny slept through the show or Simon was ill or, you know, something happened that we couldn't record that week uh, last minute. And so on the one hand, I felt kind of bad that we couldn't record that week. And on the other hand, I was almost relieved that i didn't have to talk about this because our, our podcast is a pretty light-hearted one yeah and yeah. It, it just it didn't fit the tone you know mm-hmm. and so what i did is during our regular recording time i just sat down and recorded that in two takes there was just one little break in between um and yeah that's how it came about it was totally spontaneous they didn't ask me to do it in fact i asked them if they would be cool with me doing that uh in mm-hmm. lieu of a normal episode and, and yeah that's how it came about well, it was, it's definitely well worth a listen. Everybody should, should check that out. So, uh, uh, all right. So, uh, what do we got? What do we got up next? All right. Next up we've got, uh, from Royal Moss who says, hi, Perry. Thanks for all the gas you've given me the last year or so. <laughs> I don't know how you maintain that level of gassiness for so long and buy so much stuff every week. Have you ever considered changing jobs and becoming the Hong Kong Bellamy hunt? i.e. honky camera hunter sourcing fabulous wares for overseas clients thanks alan he's already he says, got i'm at the film sweats on insta he's already got the uh, the name for your your business there so uh, there you go <laughs> I, i've been i've been asked this question a lot of times um and it's funny because that there is there was a period here where i tried to sort of have something like that as a side hustle um and two things happened that made me realize that this is not for me number one i end up going to camera stores and just telling the shopkeepers what's wrong with their lenses (laughs) like finding (laughs) stuff that they didn't notice um and number two i i just end up not wanting to sell this stuff because if i get a lens that is cool and i play with it i end up just being like well i'm not gonna sell this i'm gonna keep it so that that's a problem if you're trying to run a business right where if you just you know eat all of your own stock essentially (laughs) it's hard hard to profit off that yeah (laughs) yeah exactly so do you do you you pretty much keep everything do you ever sell i do sell i do sell from time to time um but I'm, i'm pretty lazy when it comes to doing that kind of stuff selling photos selling selling is a pain in the ass it just really is yeah yeah you got to list the stuff you got to take photos you got to meet people um who and and kind of explain stuff which is often fun but sometimes it's a Mm -hmm. pain so yeah when i do sell stuff is i usually end up listing a ton of stuff at once um and kind of doing a mini clear out but for the most part i i don't really sell stuff yeah, yeah, that's kind of the way I kind of go in, in spurts where I'll be like, all right, I'm gonna get rid of some stuff, and I do it all at once, and then after I'm over this, it takes me months to recuperate from like answering dumb questions and and, yeah. and worrying about like a, two months later, somebody being like, yeah, this isn't really working out for me, and I'm gonna file a dispute with PayPal, and uh, I'm just gonna get my money back. Like I just like, that stuff worries the hell out of me because because by the time that with with selling stuff. 
somebody can decide they don't want it and file a dispute. And then you got to get, and I've already spent that money. Like, like, right. <laughs> like now I got to figure out how I'm going to refund you. Cause I don't have that money anymore, folks. Like I, I live paycheck to paycheck. That money's gone. Like, so yeah. Uh, but there you go. All right. So what, what we got next? All right. And you know what, just on a side note, I so feel the same way. I cannot, I, I really suck at selling anything. I, I just suck at it. You guys might not, but I really do. I'm not good at it at all. So well, I'm right well, there with you. Well, Roxana did send me, uh, after her first appearance on the show, she sent me a, a lovely Kodak Retina camera. And I, I, still, I, I still need to get out and shoot that. But uh, Johnny's been on a bit of a Retina rampage here uh, lately. So, uh, so. so is, is there a reason why you haven't, uh, why you haven't shot that Retina bike? Uh, well, actually, I, I have a plan. I have like three, I have like three rangefinders. And I'm not a rangefinder guy. I've always been an SLR guy. So my goal has been like to go out one day with just all three rangefinders. I'm, I'm only going to shoot <laughs> rangefinders that day. And the retina is one of them. I have a Kodak like Signet 80, which is like one of the last, oh, yeah. yeah, uh, last, uh, like interchangeable lens cameras that Kodak ever manufactured. And, uh, uh, and so like, you know, I can't remember what my other one is. Uh, uh, I think it's a Yashica and, uh, the, the 35, whatever, uh, whatever that camera is. And, uh, but uh, so I want to go out all three and shoot them and see like, all right, let, let me let me get my final uh, judgment on rangefinders. But uh, but no, this retina is beautiful. I've always wanted one. And, and Roxana graciously sent me one. So maybe it's because she just didn't feel like selling it. So just I'll just give it to Mike. <laughs> <laughs> but well, Mike, Mike, the, can, can I just jump jump in on that? Because I, I, I think, you know, as a rangefinder lover, mm-hmm. I, I think the the experience the difference in user experience say between a a crappy slr and a really nice slr is not necessarily that big Um, the shooting experience can be very similar right but the shooting experience between a crap rangefinder not that any of the ones you have are crap right the the shooting experience between a a, you know decent rangefinder and a really nice one is light is night and day and so if you are going to decide whether or not you want (laughs) to whether or not you'd like rangefinders you know, just go borrow a really nice one, especially one that has a really clear focusing patch. Yeah. And go yeah. and use that. Don't don't go messing around with like a signet as as a you know example of what the rangefinder experience is like. Well, see, a part of me is afraid that I'll like rangefinders because I know that leads right down to the path to 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 like uh because <laughs> I, I know where that heads, man. Like, I, like I, I could even if I have the best day ever shooting those three rangefinders, I'm be like, uh, no, I don't like rangefinders, man, because. I, I, I can't afford a, a like a, a, like an M like it's not gonna happen like a, I, I had to sell so much stuff to get one like and then then I'm right back to having to sell things and I, you know how I, I've already said it, I hate that so so yeah that that, that does worry me a tad so there. <laughs> all right oh, all right where was we <laughs> all right all right getting back to the questions all right I am going to ask Christian Hillens just because it involves a lot of math and I've been also a math teacher since being on remote learning. So how much difference is there between a 50 millimeter and a 58 millimeter lens expressed in a quadratic trigonometry? (laughs) I I just really wanted to say that. (laughs) Uh, You know, you don't have to really answer that one. It was just fun to ask. Well, are, are we going to do the second part of his question, too? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And if you choose just one, only one LTM lens, which one would it be and why? 
And he also seconds Royal Moss's question, by the way. <laughs> um, so the all of that is a reference to a couple of recent episodes of uh, of the Classic Lenses podcast, where I was trying to make a point about choosing different focal lengths to put in your bag and, and understanding that as a ratio or as a percentage. Um, because, you know, if you go from 21 millimeters to 24 millimeters, that's actually quite a significant difference in in the frame but if you Mm. go from you know 50 to 53 millimeters because the percentage change is different there's like no there's no practical impact so that that's we're not going to tread down that route that makes sense though yeah yeah okay yeah we we got a lot of complaints about that episode because i spent about 20 (laughs) minutes doing math on the show which i thought johnny and i thought was cool (laughs) <laughs> that's rad <laughs> well, I was I kind do, of hoping that would happen <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something about like I, I feel like uh, you know we get interaction uh, for, for this podcast but I feel like there's something about your all's uh, you're all's listeners on classic lenses. They like to give you all a whole lot more shit than than what than, than what we get. Like they they really call you out. You call you guys out quite a bit. It seems like from what I oh, hear. Yeah. <laughs> is there yeah. something about are lens nerds just that like uh, like that uh, persnickety? Is that what it is? <laughs> I, I think I think there might be a degree of that because if you're really into lenses, you're looking at fine differences a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's also I think because because we enjoy occasionally stirring the pot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was episode 122. The math was not a deliberate attempt to piss people off, uh, <laughs> but it did kind of. <laughs> jo- Johnny was was saying afterwards that he thinks I'm some kind of cyborg, um, <laughs> if, if that's the way I think about focal length and lenses. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I maintain that talking about math in a podcast is easier to follow than uh, describing photographs. Yeah, yeah, I agree there. <laughs> Very um, good point. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, will, what if, I, was, I will say when you guys get really super nerdy of classic lenses, that's that's the part where I'm like, I have no idea what these guys are talking about. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for Johnny to piss off Simon somehow. Like, that's that's my favorite parts. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, and then the second part of the question: choosing one and only one LTM lens. I, I hate questions like this because I I love all LTM lenses. I think they're fantastic and i i want to have them all like pokemon so we're getting nerdy here is it, these are canon lenses is that right no ltm is like a thread mount so okay so there are let's just have what i know about lenses there there are literally <laughs> dozens of them um there no i mean there's so many they're made by manufacturers all across the board and right. choosing one is borderline impossible but i think if i had to pick one because this this is this isn't including m mount lenses but it actually does make it a little easier um I, I, I like 35 millimeters, and for me, a 35 millimeter f2 lens is the kind of lens that I could shoot with for my entire life. Uh, I would go with the Konica UC Hexanon 35 millimeter f2 in LTM. Mm. It's rare; they only made a thousand of them, uh, but they are, and they're not cheap. But they're kind of competing with the Leica Summicron in. Uh, in M mount, and I think this lens is just—it's beautifully built. It's better built than the Leicas. Um, the lens whoa, is based. Whoa! whoa. Oh, it, it, it's <laughs> it's, it's, streets, it's streets above the Leica. I mean, I've got I've got the 35 Simicron. The, the Hexanon uh, puts it to shame in terms of build quality. It's made of just beautiful brass. Um, everything clicks beautifully. It's really smooth, and the optical design is based on the Hexar RF lens, which in turn is inspired by the uh, Nikkor 35 1.8 rangefinder lens so it's 
It's very smooth. It's just a wonderful, uh, it's a wonderful optic. And I can't use that lens right now because my girlfriend has decided that it's her favorite lens and it just lives <laughs> on uh, the camera that she's shooting. So I haven't used that lens in months because um, she has been hogging it. So where, where did I get it? There's, there's some sort of Canon L, right? Is, is, that, do I have that, is that where I got that from? Where, where, where did I come up with LTM being a Canon thing? Do, do, do they have an L lens or something? Yeah, or? The, the Canon L series is their red-ringed autofocus professional series. Okay, that's where I got confused. Okay, Yeah, but LTM is annoying because it's it stands for like a thread mount, but okay. people call it LTM, L39, like a screw mount, screw mount. Yeah. Um, but we're talking about screw mount lenses for... Uh, rangefinders essentially like a rangefinders okay okay well screw all that mess is what i say <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> just because i can't afford it but all <laughs> uh, right uh all right what do we got next next up from sherry christensen uh she asks in a world that is crazy and turned upside down do you find that photography is the one thing that remains normal also can you share what is happening with classic lenses cheaper more expensive or harder to find P.S. Are you watching hockey now that it's back on TV? Nice, uh, and Sherry from the Embrace the Grain podcast. Which, by the way, Andre, you also did a little 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 podcast harding on that on that on that on that uh, podcast recently. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm catching up. I'm making my rounds. <laughs> Nice. I, I'm actually strange that you, uh, this may surprise you, Perry, but uh, being in Louisville, Kentucky, I'm actually a huge uh, a hockey fan. And uh, we used to have an amateur team or a, a team below the NHL. Uh, um, uh, they had the East Coast Hockey League. Then I think we had some team, uh, I can't remember what, what the league it was in, but it was a couple of rungs below NHL. And we used to go to those games all the time here in Louisville. Yeah. And it was an absolute blast. It made me a huge fan. Uh, huge hockey fan so uh it, it, i'm one of probably uh 10 hockey fans in louisville kentucky so but there you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we don't we don't get uh hockey on tv out here so mm -hmm. it's uh it's hard for me to follow my beloved oilers but uh it's um it's better than living in toronto where where the maple leafs were a local team and they, they suck so it's the reality it seems to be the, always the thing i hear from people from toronto but uh, uh actually so uh, speaking of edmonton oilers uh uh, I saw, like, I went to a, a game, uh, an NHL game in St. Louis, and I saw the Blues oh, play yeah. uh, the LA Kings when Gretzky was playing for the Kings. Oh, so man. I got to see, I got to see Gretzky play. So that was cool. And oh. uh, yeah, Why you got to bring that up. Why you got to bring that? Up? <laughs> Did you ever see Gretzky play? I I was too young to see him in his heyday, uh, yeah, yeah. but obviously yeah. his influence is uh, uh, longstanding. And the day that uh, he was traded to the Kings is like the darkest day in Edmonton's history. I, I can imagine Canada damn near revolted over that, right? But uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, St. Louis won, by the way. But Gretzky did get an assist that that game. So, uh, uh, it was towards the end of his career. But uh, it was kind of cool to see him. Yeah. So there you go. All do, right. Do so, you remember? Do you remember who the goalie was for the Blues at the time? Did, I think it was a uh, uh, Curtis Joseph. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember. Yeah, they called him Cujo. Yeah. yeah, I remember Cujo at the, yeah. during that era. He was he was yeah. a legend. Yeah. Uh, Brett Hall was playing for uh, for St. Louis at the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Some big names. Yeah. All right, that's um, enough, enough hockey talk. That's all right. Classic lenses, uh, yeah, they're all getting more expensive all the time and harder to find for a very simple reason. Uh, it's supply and demand, right? The supply is fixed or shrinking as lenses break. Um, so there's no increasing supply. The demand is going up because uh, more and more people are getting into film and getting into classic lenses. Uh, so the prices just keep going up. Like, you know, my... I was talking to... Um, one of our listeners just yesterday, and my 
uh, collection of lenses has outperformed his 401k significantly. If you just look at, <laughs> if you look at the kind of underlying prices. So if there's something that you're gassing for, uh, get it now because yeah. the supply is not going to get any bigger because um, it's not the 1950s anymore. And so if other people want that lens, it's, it's just going to go up. You know? And you're not going to lose money on them. This was Carl Havens' big thing uh, on the Classic Lenses podcast. Yeah. Right? You just buy a lens. If he didn't like it, he would just sell it and never lose money on them. So. That's why, like, I think it was like a year or so ago when I bought the Pentax 6.7. Like, I had been looking at them like six months or a year or so before that. And I was like, oh, okay, that's what they're going for. And then I looked at them again like a year later. I was like, holy, wow, they, these things have really went up, man. And I, I need to jump now because uh, they're not going to go down. And, like, I think they've they've went up exponentially since I bought mine like a year ago. Like, oh, yeah. It just, yeah, it's just uh, like if you if there's a camera or lens you want, like – it ain't going down anytime soon. So uh, yeah, it, you can sit there and think uh, uh, maybe I'll wait till the prices come down. They're not. They're not. They're not coming down. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Um, and, and on the on the first part of the question, uh, is photography the one thing that remains normal? Uh, I guess to a certain degree, you know, shooting shooting riot police and um, empty streets is is it never feels normal, but it is one area in Hong Kong that's kind of stayed fairly constant. The photo, sh the photo stores have uh, stayed open. The film labs have stayed open. Um, the only thing we've really struggled with is things like film shortages uh, when Ilford shut down their plant, for example. So like you can't get XP2 anywhere um, in 135 here in Hong Kong right now. Mm. But other than that, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of helped me maintain a sense of nor normality is the wrong word, but a sense of a rhythm, you know, yeah. when everything is shut down and your schedule is, is topsy turvy getting out with a camera just reminds you that well, it kind of gets your mind off things, you know, it's good. Yeah. 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 I haven't shot much this year and then like did a whole lot of shooting in Florida. And that, that's one thing I remember, like it's one thing that came back to me immediately is like, God, I, I love doing this, man. Like just being out by myself and like shooting things and like, um, just uh, the, the the mindset it puts you in, uh, even because I was in a town that, you know, is just now still slowly, very slowly rebuilding from a hurricane that destroyed it. And it's still there was a lot of depressing sights around there, but we're starting to see some hope in that town. But but uh, just even even that, like, even though it was kind of depressing to see some of the stuff, it was still like just very that's just the, the, I don't know, the, the therapeutic thing we always say, like about just getting out and shooting by yourself and like that, that sort of Zen you get out of it. it there is something to that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So what do we got up next? All right. So up next, I have Nelson Mullis, and he says, now that you've taken the Roly plunge, how do you like the TLR experience in general? Yeah. So so we've talked about this a little earlier, but I, I mm. think um, I, I really enjoy it. I mean, I it's it seems to have cured my gas somewhat, uh, where these days all I just want to do is go and shoot with it. And I've been carrying it around everywhere with me. And I, 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 I you know, the, the thing that I think takes most getting used to using a waist level finder is the reverse. People talk about it all the time, right? How everything mm -hmm. is flipped. Um, and there are still some shots where I'm just like, I don't know which way I'm supposed to move to get this to look the way that I want. But I think once I've sort of internalized that, and once that becomes like muscle memory and second nature, it's going to be a... It's going to be a lot better. But I, I mean, I'm really happy with the photos I've been getting with this. There, I have a huge backlog on Instagram, and I think it's some of the best stuff I've shot this year. The one thing that I'm grappling with is um, our last two episodes on classic lenses, we've talked about square composition quite a lot and the kind of theory behind it. And I am 
sort of finding that in a lot of my images, I should be moving the camera, tilting the camera down a little bit more uh, than than I am. Because especially if there's people in the frame, you know, um, I have a tendency to put things along a diagonal. And for people, that tends to put their head relatively close to the center. And you end up uh. with a bit of space on the top of the frame where I think uh, a little bit lower would have worked better here. Mm. Um, so that's that's currently... Square composition is is like the thing I'm nerding about right now, which is nice uh, as far as an experience goes. I, I just had a, uh, <laughs> I just had a funny. Uh, uh, I, I I we didn't know uh, that Roxanne was going to be able to join us tonight because of her internet issues, and she finally figured out a way to do it on her phone. So I'd reached out. Uh, this is a little, little surprise I was going to have for you, Perry. If if Roxanne couldn't join us, I was going to have uh, Johnny uh, uh, come in as a Coco <laughs> captain oh, and God. give you shit. And I, <laughs> he. he he did just send me a message on Facebook Messenger. He says, well, I'm glad it worked out. He says, <laughs> he says, I'm at a fucking White Castle drive through on my bike. So just, uh, just letting you guys know what Johnny's up to right now. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. Good old Johnny. But uh, oh, all right. Too uh, good. <laughs> um, too good. Uh, so <laughs> what do we got next? Next up from Dan Tree asks... Perry, what hole are you trying to fill within yourself with all the cameras and lenses you buy? What is it you are really looking for? Is it all a cry for help? <laughs> so I, this is, I think, the only question I answered on the Facebook thread itself. Um, <laughs> but let's just say, especially after our, our previous episode, um, I've told him exactly which hole. <laughs> and, I th- and I think he knows. I think he knows. <laughs> but uh, on a serious note, right, it, it, the the lens addiction thing, um, people like Hamish Gill often talk about how the kind of playing with gear and old mechanical stuff is almost a separate hobby uh, to the photography. And I, I kind of agree with that and see that point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also I mean, part of this is also Andre's fault, because if Cinestill didn't exist, I don't think I would be in this rabbit hole to the same degree where <laughs> is there something fun about picking up lenses you've never tried before and being like, well, what does this look like? And mm-hmm. that, I think, is part of the motivation. So I spend, you know, uh, most of my time doing actual photography, quote unquote, and I tend to use the same gear uh, all the time, the same sets of cameras and lenses for that. And then the rest of the time, I'm, I'm dicking around with lenses. Um, and that's super fun, but none of, that, none of that, those photos are anything that I would, you know, take that seriously. So Perry, did you get the PayPal payment from Andre uh, for the, for this uh, episode? <laughs> <laughs> that's right, I got the confirmation. Hey, if you want to, want to send me some rules, it's still that's all. That is a hole that I'm always trying to plug. Like, well, you know, it's Perry. I would, but it's the shipping to Hong Kong that really just kills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, well, what's up next? All right. So up next, we have Matt Murray, and he says, hey, Perry, I enjoyed looking through your Instagram profile. You have some fantastic photos taken with an impressive camera lineup. What I didn't see, though, were images taken on the cameras that Hong Kong was has given the world. Where are all the... Yeah, we're all the photos taken on Mint cameras, Holga's, Diana's, Robot 3, and Disteri Robots. <laughs> Matt from Matt Loves Cameras podcast. Well, 
the most recent camera that Hong Kong has given the world is the Yashica Y35. Uh, <laughs> so I, I don't think <laughs> I don't think we can hold ourselves up as a a pinnacle of of camera design. But I mean, having said that, I have a friend here who's really into collecting and using cameras from Hong Kong. You know, the made in Hong Kong Holgas, yeah, the Diadas. Oh, there's yeah. there's the Hal- Halina cameras yep. or something like that. I think yep. that's what they're called. Yep. Um, there's even some, I think there might be even some Pentax cameras that were made in Hong Kong at one point. There was, I think the K1000 at one point had a, had a run there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a limited number that say made in mm-hmm. Hong Kong at the bar. You should get one of those. It's a working man's <laughs> Pentax. <laughs> yeah, the, the, maybe so. I think they're, I think they're a little less desired than the others, but, yeah, but, understandably. <laughs> Um, I, I do have a mint camera, though. I do have one of their restored SX-70s, and that that's awesome. That thing is so much fun to shoot. Mm. They're, um, you know, mint is based in Causeway Bay. It's just in the middle of uh, the shopping district here in Hong Kong. But they are doing some really innovative stuff with instant cameras, uh, not only restoring the old Polaroid SX-70 folders, but also their, you know, their TLRs. They've got a rangefinder that's just come out. Yeah, they're, I think, as far as manufacturers go... Um, they're doing some awesome work. Whereas in Hong Kong, I think, you know, this is a really good place to buy camera gear, a really good place to shoot. Uh, and, and we have some amazing repair guys here too, but I don't have a Holga. I'll admit that. I borrow one, but it didn't. Uh, you just don't have the magic one. Like I have, I have one with a magic lens. So that's actually, I'm going to keep putting uh, you and, and Johnny and, and, and uh, uh, Simon in the hot seat to, to get me on classic lenses. Because one thing I, I'd like to talk to you guys about is just why are Hoga lenses just so awesome? And, uh, <laughs> 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 you know, it's just beautiful. It's, it's a dreamy little look. I, I just think there's, there's some magic to it. And, uh, yeah, uh, I want you all to explain the uh, – don't, don't answer it here because we'll, we'll save it for the classic lenses. And I'm, I'm now putting you guys in the hot seat to force me to be on. Uh, explain uh, – I'm going to want – an explanation on you know the actual design of a hoga lens so just uh, do your research because I, that's gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna put you guys on the spot oh, about okay. that yeah yeah <laughs> we, can, we can definitely answer that that's a that's a very easy question to answer <laughs> nice uh, all right uh what we got next next up uh from leonid Nish- N- nikishin has says hello there perry would you consider making a zine or even a photo book based on rate on recent major events such as the protests in hong kong or the covid lockdown phase leo nikishan from the what is it the 12 rows of film podcast i believe it is i think i think, I think it's the name he hasn't put out an episode in a while so uh but leo get your get your podcast going again you're you're really good at that so uh yeah so i miss it i miss it bring it back but. Yeah, I'll, I'll make I'll make a zine when he makes a new episode. Uh, <laughs> no, but you know it. This is something. I, number one, I didn't I didn't actually know what a zine was until I started listening to podcasts like yours and and Sunny Sixteen. <laughs> like, what is that word? Uh, it's just like a, a magazine without the MAGA, right? <laughs> <laughs> but the, <laughs> the the the. I thought about making a photo book, um, and I was doing this project on on urban architecture uh, in Hong Kong, and I just I just found myself never knowing when it was done. Uh, so I've never really sat down and, and thought about doing this kind of thing because photo I, I suck at photo projects. I end up with this huge body of photos, and I do try to thematize them a little bit, but 
to me, a photo project, it's like, okay, so here's the real problem. I start shooting some images of a certain type. And I think, okay, these are cool. I'm going to put them together in a, a, a photo book or something. And then three years later, when I'm like, okay, I finally have enough images, I look at my images and I go, well, the ones that I've shot in the third year are totally different and also often way better than the ones in the first year. So I'm going to scrap those. And because the photography keeps evolving, I just never find myself in a position where I feel comfortable making something like this. But I know mm-hmm. you guys are are into this kind of stuff all the time, and, and it seems super cool. Yeah, uh, or no, 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 no. <laughs> No, not we, I like the I like the idea of it, right? But, right. <laughs> but are you? I, I, I mean, you success you successfully done one, Mike. Oh yeah, one one, <laughs> and uh, it wasn't that my best the best effort. But after I see where everybody else keeps sending me, like kind of blows me out of the water. I should mention uh, Leo's uh, podcast is Ten Rows of Film. I don't know why I said twelve. It's Ten Rows of Film podcast. Check that out. Like it, Leo, bring that back. You did a great job with that. Like I'm just gonna I'm just put you on the hot seat as well. So okay, uh, but yeah. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh my gosh, seriously. I agree though with that. I I have tried to compile pictures and my only favorites though, I have to even take it even closer is just like the last few rolls that I've shot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow. I don't and I get sick of the things that I've I get sick of my own stuff. I look back and I'm like, oh that's crap. I really liked that before. Now I really don't like it. I have such a hard time with this. Well, Roxana, <laughs> you recently had to like rescan everything after a hard drive filled. And then also Andre kind of went through a situation where his he had a hard drive fill and uh, he's been doing a lot of uh, rescanning of older stuff. And I, I found that, you know, uh, that sometimes when you go back to to old stuff with a with a fresh a fresh, you know, I a, a fresh perspective that sometimes you like you have some stuff that was good that you, you didn't think was good at the time. I think Andre and I have talked about that. Uh, on some mm-hmm. late night phone calls, so like you know, there is some, there is some value sometimes to going back and and seeing those old seeing the old stuff with a different perspective, and sometimes you see stuff that's uh, better than you thought it was, right? There's truth to that. There's truth to that too, and I think that it's just more of the work of trying to put something together in a collection. It's really really hard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Andre, you've yeah. been you've been uh, doing a lot of uh, revisiting lately, and uh, yeah. I, we I, talked. Uh, we talked last night, and uh, Andre has like a. He, when he was in Louisville, like he, he took quite a few rows of film when when we went on photo walks, and I haven't seen hardly any of them. And like I don't know why I never saw those photos, and I was really like looking forward to seeing his shots of Louisville when he visited here and uh, and hung out with me for a weekend. And I haven't seen them, and uh, but I don't know what, what's going on, Andre. Ho- hopefully, you will soon. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I had a a hard drive failure and lost, you know, pretty much all of my scans. And I, I figured I was going to kind of start from scratch. And I don't personally think that I'm going to be rescanning every single roll. Um, I, I think I'm going to, you know, make some some contact sheets, uh, just some some digital contact sheets to, you know, have right beside each, uh, each print file sleeve of the negatives themselves. So I can just basically kind of see what's there. And then whatever I do want to scan, uh, scan it with the digital camera and then you know make my my darkroom prints so mm-hmm. that that's kind of my plan folks uh that's a, the brilliant thing about film hard drive fails you still got those negatives so just saying yeah unless you throw them away like hamish or like i <laughs> potentially was thinking about 
don't throw away your negatives. All right, but uh, I, I think I will still probably throw away some. Like as I was kind of going through last night, Mike, I saw plenty of like test rolls where it was like, cool. I shot pictures of like the inside of my apartment at multiple different apertures, and I'm like, well, I'm never gonna want to look at those yeah, images. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I, I can see test rolls, but like, uh, there's a lot of times though, man. Like you take a shot, you have something you think is very mundane. We talk about this all the time, and like five, ten years from now, maybe that shot, that place looks different now like you never know what's going to have value later on so you got to be careful uh, if you're going to do that so just just be careful about what you throw away because you never know what's going to mean something later so Um, all right uh what we got next all right so next we have ben mills and he says what is the classiest of classic lenses and then there's a second part here and obviously how do i advance my technique to be able to double stroke (laughs) <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's some sort of inside joke that I don't know about. So there you go. <laughs> two two I've quick trying, strokes. I've been trying to exp- I've been trying to perfect my double stroke technique for a long time. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, if, if you if you get yourself a, a double stroke Leica M3, there's a built-in mechanism in there. It's a little ring, and the the ring uh, stops you from stroking too long. So it's two quick strokes. <laughs> Get yourself a double stroke. <laughs> sometimes you want, you know, sometimes you want to just get get things done pretty quickly. So uh, I just. <laughs> I'm dying over here. All right. <laughs> Should we move on? Well, the classiest of classic lenses. So, um, let's try this. Let's this try, is a, I like this question. Cla- let's try to class up this podcast a little. Bit. Yeah, we'll, we'll class it up. We're gonna let's use keep a it classy. <laughs> For Andre's sake, let's use a watch analogy here, right? Oh, you sure. You don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want a lens that's too uh, too showy. Um, you don't want to be ostentatious, right? So, like a gold Rolex of lenses is out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to get one of those limited edition, uh, like a gold Sumalux. It's not super. Right. Right. You want something that's that's beautifully made that oozes class that doesn't yell. I'm an expensive lens. Um, something that's really really nice to use, but also a little bit rare. Uh, that that isn't super common that you see all over the place. A kind of, you know, uh, a custom made Omega of of lenses. Is that a good? Is that a good sure. analogy, Andre? Absolutely. Know, okay, cool. I don't know shit about watches. I'm just trolling you here. <laughs> um, so the the custom made Omega of lenses, the classy uh, piece, I would say is the Schneider uh, 35 2.8 Xenogon uh, in LTM, because Schneider is the uh, sort of, it's the brand that goes under the radar as mm. far as like top, top premium lenses go. I, you will struggle to find a bad Schneider lens. They are gorgeous. Uh, so they're not, they're not absurdly priced. And the Xenogon is pretty rare because uh, it's a 35 millimeter in like a thread mount. But it's just this beautifully made little gem. Um, it looks kind of similar to that uh, 35 3.5 you got, Andre, but uh, with a little bit of Schneider magic. I nice. think my Retina. I think my Retina has a Schneider on it. I believe. Ooh, is that right? Which one? is it? A Xenar or is it a Zenon? I really don't know. I'd have, I don't have it in front of me. Uh, Roxanne, you, I'm sure you don't know either. You sent it to me. <laughs> I have no idea, and I, I'll I tell you, a... it 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 could be something super cool. When I got that one, it was it was in a box. That was one of the ones that I got from my dad's friend. That from like this large estate that you know, and I got just so many different lenses and cameras from that box. Like I have so many lenses that 
I don't even know what they are. Like mm. I have them in a drawer. I know this is like sacrilegious right now. To oh, talk you, you about, need to, you need to, you need to, send, you need to send a photo. <laughs> you need to send a photo of Harry and, and he can tell you if you have any goat, any goat in there. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't look like I do, but I don't know. So right. I might have you to. Never know. <laughs> do you, you never do know. Do you remember, do you remember the maximum aperture of that lens? Mm. Uh, I think it's, you know what? You all talk so much amongst yourselves. I think I think it's over here. Hold on. You, you, find something to talk about. Uh, on, talk well, about one, double, one double thing, stroking. <laughs> one thing that I find interesting about that, Perry, is that like as I've been kind of diving into large format, you see the name Schneider pop up a lot with large format lenses. Oh, yeah. So it's something that's interesting. It's like, well, yeah, what happens when the large format lens manufacturer, like the enlarger lens manufacturer, you know, make something in like a teeny tiny little 35 LTM. Yeah. Okay, I got it right here. It and, is and, a Schneider Retina Xenon 1 2.8. Oh, wait, wait, no. So if it's a 2.8, then it's a Xenar, not a Xenon. Okay, hold on. Okay. It says Xenon. It says Retina Xenon uh, F2.8 50 millimeter Schneider Kuznak or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> oh, interesting. Interesting. Because okay, Xenon so got... is usually there. Oh, so it's a Retina 2C that you've got, right? Yes, it's a 2C. Yep. yep. Uh, that's, yeah, that's a cool lens. Because normally the Zen, uh, the, the 2.8s are Xenars, which is a Tessar formula. It's a standard kind of four element. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Xenons are usually the higher end kind of double Gauss designs. Oh. Um, oh but they're Roxanne, you, you, you sure you want me to keep this? Do I have to send this back to you now? Like, I don't... Yeah, you, it is all yours. It is all yours. I have like, I have so many different. I, you know what? I actually have another retina that. Um, if that's how you say it, right? Is it retina? I don't know. I've always said retina. Uh, retina? Know. Is it retina or retina? I have no idea. Anyway, I have another one that looks rad that I won't get rid of and I don't know if it's better or less I just really love the casing that it came in because it reminds me of like an Indiana Jones camera or something oh, nice. yeah yeah and I'd have to look at that one too because it came in the same box so I was like I can't you know I can't justify keeping both and you talked about how much you wanted one so I was like here <laughs> nice nice and so this is this is a this is going to be a, a pretty stellar lens Perry is that yeah the Zenon cool? should be pretty sweet um and it's it's less common to see the 2.8 version of the Zenon because usually you get it in f2 okay yeah that that'll be nice Nice, nice. All right, that's getting me excited about my rangefinder uh, uh, day. <laughs> rangefinder day. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, and, and to, um, just to go back to what Andre was saying while you were looking for the camera, he was saying that uh, Schneider and some brands he sees a lot more on large format lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, Andre, I think that's a place where I think if you look at the brands that pop up the most on large format lenses, um, their 35 millimeter medium format stuff is often top of the line too but not uh not priced the same way that you know say leicas or some of the other uh zeiss you know those kinds of brands are so for example like rodenstock and topcore you'll see quite a lot as well Mm. um and those lenses are just astonishing you know there's a retina with a rodenstock uh 50 f2 heligon and i think that's one of the best 50 millimeter lenses ever made it just it's stunning wow and and also on these retinas, like it's sort of like I think Johnny was <laughs> one of his bitches about them was like you can't really remove the lenses very easily to like use them on your all's 
digital yeah. cameras or bullshit like this. <laughs> I don't no, know. man. Pentax <laughs> 7 is what you put the removed uh, lenses on. So uh, there you go. You do that a lot, right? Yeah. I yeah. I take lenses off folding cameras, broken ones, mind you. Right. Right. Uh, because folders are not great mechanisms. Um, and I put them on a helicoid, and I put them on my Pentax 67. And I'm telling you, they are gorgeous. They are better on that camera than the native camera that they're designed to be on because it's rigid. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it it won't work with a, a 50 millimeter. Uh, from a retina, but some of the longer stuff or some of the medium format folders, get that on a 6.7 and, and you're good to go. Oh, wow. Wow. All right. Well, uh, I learned something here. Roxanna sent me a real prize. Thank you, Roxanna. So, <laughs> you yeah, are that's, very that's welcome. Great. That's a, that's a great <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I'm looking forward to shooting it now. I'm kind of, kind of, getting, kind of getting enthusiastic about it. Uh, uh, there you go. Uh, all right. So where, where are we at? Uh, are, we getting, are we getting anywhere close to these things? We're almost like 50 minutes into this. So uh, we're, 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 nearing, we're nearing the end. We've only got a few okay. more. Okay, good. Um, from Steven Marmaroff, he asks, Hello, Perry, what is your most underrated LTM lens for street photography, and how often do you use filters on your lenses, uh, and which ones are your favorites? And LTM is a Canon lens, right? I'm, jo I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, this question, I, I, this is the question I spent the longest on. Um, <laughs> filters, that's easy. I, I, use a, I use filters all the time. I use a yellow filter uh, pretty much any time I'm shooting black and white film. Um, I don't know about, I don't know about favorites. I, how do you have a favorite filter? Yellow. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's my favorite filter. And then if I'm shooting, do, like, do, do you feel like there's any di real difference? Like I, I was yeah. talking to Matt Jones and he was talking about like infrared filters and he was like, dude, I've, I've used the expensive ones. I've used the cheap ones off Amazon. I can't tell any difference. Like with film, do you, does it really matter that much? Like oh. the difference between like, uh, like the quality of filters, because I haven't really noticed it, but I, I maybe the only thing I've maybe noticed is I've seen like with cheaper filters, like you get like, uh, uh, more chance for like, um, Oh, what's it called? It's flare. like a, yeah, like a flare or some ghosting sometimes yeah. where you'll get, yeah, okay. It, it, I, I don't think it matters. Um, yeah. For, you know, if you're shooting backlit, uh, then you, you're liable to get flare with, with a, a cheaper filter, but just don't do that. I thought you yeah. meant, you know, is there a difference when you use a filter? I was like, hell yeah, there's oh, a difference. Oh, yeah, no, there's, yeah, I, but, no, definitely that. But like the actual quality between like the cheap ones on up to like, uh, you know, like the more expensive ones, because you can you can spend as much as you want on filters. Like yeah. you can get kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't think I don't think it matters. And if you're getting vintage filters, um, just as long as they're clean, it really won't make a difference in mm -hmm. terms of a cheap versus expensive filter. I don't think so. At least I haven't been able to see any difference. And we're shooting film. Well, at least most people listening to this podcast are shooting film, and like you know, there's a certain amount of uh, softness to film anyway, right? Like I don't. Well, think it depends on what lens you use and whether oh, you're yeah. using. A folder. Well, if I'm, if I'm using my Leica R lens 50 millimeter, I mean, yeah, that thing is as uh, sharp as I'll get out. I mean, yeah, you know, because it's, it's like a working man's uh, lens, but uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can see that. But okay, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I, I said, but, but apart, apart from the yellow filter for color, when I'm shooting, um, I don't do this for Cinestill because I like the way that it looks, uh, but for Vision 3500T, if I'm shooting that in the daytime, I will typically put an 85B on that. Uh, to to kind of even out the color, um, and then some of those old Kodak uh, like Series Six color correction filters, I find do make color images during the day look better to my eye because it it, it adds a bit of a uniformity um, to the tones by warming everything up a bit. Mm. So, yeah. And Andre, uh, go ahead and send him that second PayPal payment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Andre, by the way, um, 800T during the daytime, rating it at 500. That's that's a top tip so well done 
I know, I know Andre didn't actually say it, but that's what Sin still tells you to do. So You know what? Actually, my sister shoots um, a ton of Sin still, and she rates it at 400. And um, she's, um, well, you guys follow her, Nessie at the Sea. But her ocean stuff is gorgeous, and she does exactly that. She does daytime with Sin still at 400. Yeah, mm. yeah. It, it looks best when you rate it around there during the day, for sure. Uh Underrated I, I, is, 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 Andre, is Andre still with us? Because like he didn't have a yeah, comment. About I was on mute. I was like, "Yep, four hundred or five hundred straight." <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I was afraid he fell asleep on us again. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, underrated lenses. This is tricky, right? Because um, it depends what you mean by underrated. Uh, because there can be lenses that are underrated in terms of just pricing, um, or that they that don't get. The credit that they deserve. So I got a couple here to to, to list out. Um, there are a few lenses that I think are, are rated correctly in terms of their reputation, uh, but compared to other LTM lenses, their their prices are quite friendly. Like the Canon fifty one point eight, I think is pretty underrated because you can still. I got mine here for like fifty bucks. So I have a Canon fifty one point eight and a Canon five L two, which is a Leica screw mount rangefinder, and I got the camera for sixty bucks and I got the lens for fifty bucks, and it's just as good as any Leica. Uh, so I, I think that is um, one that flies under the radar. And then most of the Canon LTM lenses, I think their their prices are lower than what they should be compared to other LTM lenses. But then they're not underrated because people recognize how good they are. Uh, and, and now I'm going to chuck out a few. I'm going to chuck out a few that I think I'm going to regret um, because <laughs> it's always like jack, jacking up the prices on these. But there are some lenses that I think they don't get the credit they deserve and they kind of fly under the radar. And I'll be quick with this. Um, the first one is my favorite 50 millimeter lens in LTM, which is a top core S five centimeter F2. Uh, it's a biotar design and that lens is just the most spectacular. It's, it's wonderful um, in handling and rendering in tonal, uh, you know, in micro contrast, everything about that lens is awesome. Um, just finding a good one is a little bit tricky. And we had this we had this thing last year where Hamish and Johnny were both trying to get this lens. And I was trying to share some pictures with it. And they were both like, do not share any pictures with this lens <laughs> until we are able to get it before you jack up the price. <laughs> so I had this like backlog of pictures that I was just waiting to post before. Uh, but they had to get the lens first. <laughs> um, so that's a top core. It's awesome. There's also uh, a lens called the WACAL QA. Good luck spelling that. Uh, it's a 35 I'm, millimeter. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to put that in the show notes because I'll never figure that out. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a 35 millimeter f 3.5 lens, um, and I think that lens is one of the most beautiful 35 millimeters that I've got. Uh, it's not too expensive, and it also has an interesting quirk where it's legendary among UV photographers because it has some characteristics in the coating uh, that make it really really good for UV photography, which is something I've never tried and have no interest in trying, but that seems kind of cool if you're, if you're into that kind of thing. Mm. So, uh, so when you guys talk about like, uh, these lenses and these lens designs, yeah. uh, do you realize like someone like me, that's not a lens nerd when you're talking Tessar and Hexar, I have no effing idea what your eyes are talking, talking about. <laughs> Well, we know our target audience. It's like when Andre talks about watches. I know your audience knows it, but I'm like, uh, I don't know. Isn't it like Simon that hates Tessars? Is that right? Or uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, he, he doesn't like uh, 50 millimeter Tessars for 35 millimeter film. 
right. Uh, well, when I come on uh, Classic Lenses, which is going to happen because I've put you, I've put you in the hot seat. I've announced it here, and everyone's going to demand it now. I'm going I'm, I'm <laughs> to take you guys a task for about this, some of this stuff. But, uh, but, uh, but anyway, all right. Where, where are we at? All right. I have a question from Nick Lyle, and he says, Perry G, when have you, wait, when you have tested the nectar of every lens ever made, what then? Will you be driven to grind your own lenses, invent new formats, or will you go back to square one and do it all over again? I only ask because I may be in the same boat. <laughs> Nick from the uh, Homemade Camera Podcast, which uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure those guys have already got wheels spinning on how they can make their own lenses. Uh, I'm sure that's 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 their next uh, next phase. <laughs> yeah, crazy, but <laughs> Nick Nick and I have discussed this quite a bit because we we have a similar mad scientist streak. Um, but I definitely go back to some old lenses that uh, I haven't used in ages, and I kind of rediscover things about them. So. Um, I, I do go back to square run quite quite frequently, but I also I think I've gotten to the point where I'm I'm trying to use lenses in ways where they weren't intended to be. For example, one of the nicest things I've discovered is you can take a, a 90 millimeter f4 lights Elmar um, and put it on a Pentax 67 by uh. unscrewing the optical block. It covers six by seven perfectly. Wow. There's no vignetting, and because it's designed for 35 millimeter film, it's an ancient Tessar, so it doesn't it doesn't resolve that well on 35 millimeter film but on a pentax 67 um because it's designed for a smaller negative it, it, it's designed to resolve much more than a medium format lens and so on pentax 67 that thing is just mind-blowing it's insane so huh. that's the kind of thing i've been messing around with and it's it's, it's good times uh, I, I don't i don't know that i'll ever get to this point uh, of lens uh, nerdery uh that you guys do but uh, you're gonna have to maybe tell me how to uh, adapt some of these lenses because I have no idea how that would even happen. But like, uh, do you have yeah. to get like an adapter or something for the six seven when you put these lenses it's, on it? It's pretty easy. The the six seven is not actually the best format for it because the flange distance is pretty long. Um, yeah. But I, I just like the viewfinder on that thing. So so all you yeah. need is an adapter, uh, which is pretty cheap and easy to find. Um, and the adapter will have a thread on the front, usually like sixty two millimeters or something like that. Um, and then what you need is a helicoid, which, again, are, are cheap and easy to find, uh, which screws into the adapter, and you get the lens onto the helicoid. There's lots of ways to do that. You can either use a cheap uh, step-up ring um, or just tape it, which I've done from time to time. And, uh, yeah, and then if you – it works especially well with longer lenses, you know, around 100 millimeters or so mm -hmm. um, or longer, and just check – you can free lens to check that. It'll hit infinity, get it onto that 6.7, and – um, if you have like dead medium format folders lying around, it's one of the best ways to repurpose those lenses, I think. Okay. And it's not okay. it's not just a six seven. It'll work on uh, most medium format SLRs. I do it on my Bronica S two quite a lot. You can do it on Mamiya six four five. Like, there's no reason why it has to be specific to Pentax six seven. I just think they're cool. Right, right, right. Wow, you, you, you lost me a little bit there, but I, I'm I'm sort of picking up what you're putting down. So, <laughs> but, yeah, you you just need a tube to get it onto the lens. Right, it makes that, sense. That's the, that's the principle. Yeah, <laughs> to get it on the camera. Uh, all right. Uh, so, uh, where, where, where are we at now? I think we'll consider this the the last one. If we did skip anything, well, first of all, there, there's no questions from Johnny or Simon. Surely, there's there's some. <laughs> There are. Uh, 
Because they're going to give me shit if I don't, if I don't, like, Simon was already <laughs> mad that I only, like, get one of his questions out to Johnny, so, uh, yeah, ask Johnny's, uh, ask Johnny's bear one. Okay. Oh, that's a good one, that is a good one, yeah, yeah. Johnny Sisson, you're on a field trip with your Classic Lenses podcast co-host in the Canadian Rockies, eh? Suddenly a giant grizzly bear appears and a big angry hoser is after the three of you. <laughs> You're all out of donuts and butter tarts to throw at the bear, so the only way to survive is to trip one of your co-hosts, thus turning him into bear food. You'll inherit the entire lens and camera collection of the poor some bitch who is sacrificed to the bear. Who do you trip, Simon or Johnny? <laughs> so, this sounds like a hard question, um, but it's a super easy question. Sorry, Johnny, I'm tripping you. Uh, even... <laughs> Even it, it, it was the part where you said you'll inherit their lens and camera collection, right? right Even right. without the bear, <laughs> I would trip you for this. <laughs> Simon's got like a bunch of large format stuff that I'm never going to use, whereas Johnny's got like a thousand Roloflexes and you know an entire dungeon full of rangefinders, and those are the kinds of things that I like. So yeah, absolutely, I'm true. The problem is Johnny has, like, a bunch of random stuff, too, and he has multiple copies of the same thing. Like, he has, like, 19 Petri uh, Greenomatic rangefinders, which is absurd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no reason for anyone to have more than zero of those. Uh, so, you know, I guess I'll take it all, but, but sorry, Johnny. I want your collection a lot more than I want Simon's. <laughs> It's nice. All right, so are we ending with that, or do we have anything else we kind of need to get out? Uh, uh, I would, I would say that that's a good ending to it. If we did miss anything, uh, Perry can can go into the the, the Facebook post and, and answer uh, any questions there. A little homework. Yeah, works. A little homework. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, super huge thanks to uh, the Negative Pauses Film Photography Podcast Facebook group for these uh, awesome questions to Perry. I definitely, uh, this in this in this particular episode, uh, uh, maybe above others, uh, this was a help for us because uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that uh, Andre, myself, and and Roxana, not 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 the biggest big biggest <laughs> lens nerds, and uh, so <laughs> there was a lot of lens nerd questions that uh, that we wouldn't have come up with. So thank thank you so, thank you guys so much for that and. Um, all right, let's uh, let's take a little break here, and we'll come back with uh, some some follow ups with Perry that we we want to ask, and uh, I got one that uh, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna take him to task too. So uh, uh, we'll we'll do that after this break. So we'll be right back and uh, uh, in just a second. We're back for the final segment. This is where we'd like to, the hosts like to kind of follow up with Perry. And Perry has like 20 minutes on the dot before he he's run out of time. Uh, so we're going to try to make this uh, make this quick. It's already going to be a long episode. But I'm going to jump in because I took Johnny uh, Sisson to task about this when I had him on. And uh, you know what? Uh, I, I'll say uh, you guys had an episode 
uh, on classic lenses where there was some there was a little shit talking about the Leica R series and I I, I did not appreciate it uh, because it's Leica and uh, my, one of my favorite 35 millimeter format lenses 35 millimeter film lenses is the uh, the Canadian made uh, 50 millimeter Summicron uh, my Leica R SLRs that lens is by far the sharpest uh, most interesting lens I've ever shot in 35 millimeter format. And because it almost has like a rendering of a medium format camera on 35 millimeter, as far as like the way, like the out of focus goes when I go on the shallow depth of field and, uh, yeah, just Perry, what's your, what's your, what's your real thoughts on it? Uh, you don't have the pressure of Simon and Johnny, like the Leica R series, uh, the 50 millimeter particularly is the only one that I can afford. <laughs> so <laughs> what, what do you think about that lens? Well, I, I think I was the one who was trashing them the most. I think um, you might have been, because <laughs> John, no, Johnny but, actually Johnny actually took up for me a little bit, but maybe I had him on the spot. I don't know, but he he, he called it a fantastic lens. But yeah, they are great lenses. I think the bodies are just a little bit weird, um, <laughs> as far as the Leica ethos goes, and they're overpriced because they say Leica, right? You know, it, mm-hmm. the, the Summicron is an outstanding lens, but in practice, how much difference are you seeing between that and like an SMC Takamar? I'll be honest with you, man. Like I've got like some pretty good Pentax 50 millimeter lenses, but this Leica has some magic to it, man. It just does. Like there is, I I, I was blown away the, the first time I shot that lens, and uh, I hadn't seen that sort of look out of any other 35 millimeter format lens that I've ever shot. So, and and I'm not like you know I'm a Pentax guy, and I've got some good Pentax lenses, but there's something about that, man. I'm getting a I'm getting a, a depth to those images that I'm not used to seeing, uh, and unless I step up to medium format, so I, I, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, no, they're 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 great lenses. I, I agree with you. It's just, <laughs> I think um, the the if you put them on a non Leica R body, you'll have a better time. <laughs> I, I like the Leica R bodies, man. It's a working man's Leica, you know. So uh, yeah. <laughs> If there's a such thing, that might be a, uh, I don't know, I might be opening up a black hole in the universe to even say those that, that term, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but no, there are totally working man's Leicas. They're called Voigtlander Besses or Canon uh, rangefinders. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'm not going to win you over on this. So you go, Mike. <laughs> you're you're allowed to to like your lens. You don't need the approval from the cool lens guys. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to. I'm allowed to like uh, my lens. Oh, <laughs> uh, Perry, I've got a question for you. So yeah. you mentioned that you you shoot uh, quite a bit with with uh, filters on black and white film, specifically a yellow filter. Now mm-hmm. I am, am just starting to kind of dip my toes back into printing in the darkroom and mm-hmm. looking at some of the the negatives as I reorganize them. Uh, I'm I'm starting to notice that some of my negatives, just by looking at them, I know are going to be an absolute pain in the ass to to print, uh, just because they're way way too high contrast. Because mm-hmm. um, I used to be stupid and think that I needed to, you know, push everything to 1600 in broad daylight. <laughs> and so when it comes to to using uh, colored filters on the camera. Does that not contribute to a a higher contrast negative that's harder to print? It does, but in a different way. And I think um, the way that you know, if you're if you're shooting to print in the darkroom, you absolutely want to think differently about not only what you're shooting and the tones and the filters you're using, 
But um, I think the way to think about it is the contrast filter is not there to increase contrast. I know that sounds dumb, but what it's there to do is it's there to change the tonal relationships uh, in your image. So if you're using a red filter, it's because you want to darken the sky and darken the blues and lighten the reds. And as a side effect of changing the tonal relationships, you are going to uh, get an increase in contrast. Um, yellow filter to a lesser degree. Whereas if you are, uh, when you're printing in the dark room, if you're using uh, contrast filters or, or color filters, that's going to have a different effect because you're projecting, um, it's still a black and white negative, right? Your source image isn't multicolored. So that's the, so I agree with you. If, you're con if your negative is too contrasty, it can be a pain in the ass. Uh, but if, also if your negative is, is too you know, flat or thin, that, that's equally annoying. But use the contrast filter on your lens for tonality uh, and, and tonal relationships rather than overall contrast. Because, yes, right. you can do that in the dark room. So, wait, like, wait. if I see a scene, uh, if I see a scene, real quick, Mike, if I see a scene where I'm like, oh, you know, I, I want to darken those skies, but I know that I don't want to be burning in those skies, you know, for ages and ages, I can put on something like a, a stronger red filter Yeah. Um, without, for that specific purpose, but that's not going to, you know, necessarily increase the contrast of my negative overall to the point that it would be harder to print that in fact in that specific scenario i actually think it would probably make it easier to print yes exactly exactly and the way i understand it like yellow filters is always like the safest bet on black and white because it, it kind of gives you the tonal separation that you see with your eye it's the closest to what like we actually see the scene as uh, even though we see in color, but like wait, yellow is always a pretty safe bet. And then if you want more drama, you go orange or red, right? Like yellow is always kind of like gives you more of the tonal separation that what you're actually seeing with your eyes. That's the way I've always kind of looked at well, it. But yeah, generally yes, but I mean that's a weird way to put it because we don't see in black and white. Right, right. right. So I, I think to be more specific, it's it's a lesser effect than a red filter, and and yellow filters do a couple things specifically. Um, number one, they darken the sky slightly, so you don't get blown out skies, which is a very common issue. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, if there's any foliage in the image, um, then you get more tonal separation between the bright and the dark parts of the foliage, because the bright parts of leaves tend to be more yellow, and the darker parts of the leaves, um, well, they're not. And when you have uh, like areas of light and areas of shadow, it will pull up those light areas and darken the shadow areas, because there's often a lot of uh, yellow, like warm light reflecting off the bright areas. And then it, it lifts skin tones as well. So I think all of those things for general purpose photography are typically quite desirable in a final result. So that's why I pretty much always have uh, a yellow filter on because for me, I'm just walking around the street shooting you know, street scenes and stuff and a yellow filter is the most versatile. Mm. Um, but there's also a case for uh, a yellow green filter, like a light yellow green filter yeah. for general yeah. purpose. Um, especially, you know, if you have foliage or like people with freckles, like ginger people with freckles, a yellow green filter makes them look awesome. Uh, and also, like my wife is has blonde hair, and I I I I, I keep meaning to like shoot these uh, portraits uh, on the six seven uh, with a yellow filter because it'll like lighten the blonde hair, and uh, which is 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 kind of kind of a neat effect. And I I I always forget to do that, and like uh, so yeah. Uh, I, I, I've, I've been really, I love filters and I've been really bad in the last couple of years about just not using them, just getting lazy, you know? And, uh, 
and I've got I've got filters for all my cameras. And I just I rarely put them on, and I need to I need to start doing that because I'm starting to realize that some of these photos would would would, would benefit from having just a little more drama, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and filters that's the way to good good way to do it. So, um, all right, uh, Andre, that pretty much answer your question. It does, yeah. Thank you for making me uh, want to spend more money. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> all right, Roxanne, what do you have for Perry? All right, so all this talk about Rage Finders, and, you know, I keep on talking how I'm thinking about selling my my Hasselblad. And, uh, I, Hasselblad? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I want to indulge in something, and I asked this question before, and I'm looking, and you know, I have a different shooting style. But what if I wanted to get into a rangefinder? What would you recommend? Ooh. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Are you, you consider yourself mostly a rangefinder guy? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You should see my collection of rangefinders. It's absurd. <laughs> oh, what would I recommend? That's oh, that's so tough. Well, she's, if she's going to talk about selling a Hasselblad, Hasselblad, then you she's going to have plenty of money. I, I like right? Go go Leica, go go bigger home. I, I don't know. That's what I would price. Yeah, I mean that's the obvious choice, right? Like get yourself a Leica M4 or something. Um, what's your favorite focal length? Oh, you know what? Honestly, I I kind of like opening up. Like uh, my length is usually kind of close up. Um, so, uh, and I mean, I'm a complete idiot when it comes to lenses. So I, <laughs> do, you, do you like more like uh, like a normal lens, like a 50 or on a, on a 35 mm, or do you like, like do you like a little wide angle? I kind of like 35. Um, yeah. I like 35 to 50, but 35, I kind of gravitate to, um, even though I have cameras that are all different lengths. So, but I think, um, Probably a 35 if I were going to do a rangefinder. Yeah, I, I think the most important thing is to get yourself something with a really nice viewfinder. Because um, you can get cheaper rangefinders where the finder is kind of dim and, and whatnot. So from from a, from a user perspective, I think the Voilander Bessa R is the way to go. Uh, it's an LTM. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of plastic um, modern thing. It doesn't have that vintage charm. But then mm-hmm. you can put, you know, the Canon 35mm f2... Uh, lens on it or something a little a little nicer if you want proper vintage uh it's to me it's hard to look past something like a like a m2 or like a m4 mm-hmm. um, and the prices are not going down on those so if you're getting your if you're getting rid of a, a Hasselblad Hasselblad yeah, <laughs> that's 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 the direction I would go yeah, I, I went with an M2 when I settled on, like, one rangefinder to rule them all, being a 35 uh, shooter mainly. And, like, I, I couldn't be be happier with it. The M2 is amazing. Mm. Yeah. So what's, what's your what's your guys thought? Like, so say I go on rangefinder day and I, I'm, I and I, and I like and I realize with my more uh, horrible eyesight apparently after seeing some of these four pictures that I did not nail focus on SLRs. Like if I if I decide rangefinders for me and I want and, and and I decided to like sell a bunch of stuff to get a like a, a rangefinder. Like is the M6 like the is no, that the no. cream of the crop? No, the M6. I, I, I love my M6. Um, I, right. I, have, I have like all of them. Um, what about but, the what about the, what is it the M5 that's kind of the the bastard child or whatever? Like, 
no, yeah. don't get that. It's huge and ugly and and, and looks dumb. But see, I um, like I like huge and ugly. I mean, I, I shoot a six seven. Like you know, right. I, like, well, I shoot bogus. Well, <laughs> maybe maybe that's shoot that's an R eight. Yeah, I shoot an R eight. Yeah. Actually, yeah, you might be you might be an M five kind of guy because that is the working man's Leica. Yeah, see, um, that's, there honestly, is I'm, I'm with it already. Does it have a light meter? Does the M5 yeah, have a light meter? Oh, see, that, that might be my camera, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because the M6, it has a meter, um, but it, I mean, I love my M6. I, I just think the kind of most satisfying, purest Leica experience you get with either an M2 or an M4, if you're shooting 35 millimeters, those two are just, they're so nice. So what, what's the problems with the M5? This is ugly. <laughs> I'm down with ugly. I love ugly cameras. Yeah, so, some of the lenses won't work on it um, because it, it's built a little bit differently. But they're some of the weirder lenses, so I wouldn't worry it, too much. It, it, is, is it is it a better value because of it though? Yeah, yeah, hundred oh, percent. Yeah, that, that they see you're talking. You're right up my street now. Like R eight, R eight, M five. Like the the bastard childs of Leica. Like <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm down with this man. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can still find M twos and stuff for for reasonable prices. Um, or an M5 is not going to be that much cheaper, but if you want a meter, I, an M5 is good. M6 mm. is just the prices are crazy now. You know, mm-hmm. they've they've like tripled from when I got mine. It's it's nuts. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, so good. Now I have gas. Okay. Um, oh yeah. Well, <laughs> so, all right. Well, Perry, it has been uh, awesome having you on the on the show, and uh, just thanks, thanks, man. This has been a it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good good times. Awesome. Well, I know you're running up on time. You have to get out of here. So let's let's get our uh, our socials out and uh, get this thing wrapped up. So, Perry, where can people check you out and all that good stuff? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Flickr at Perry G. That's P-E-R-R-Y-G-E. Uh, and you'll also find me lurking around in the Classic Lenses podcast Facebook group. Mm. And Roxana, where can people see you? Uh, people can find me on Instagram and TikTok at <laughs> Roxanalog. Um, oh, and I forgot to mention that I am doing a print exchange and I'm taking emails through my Instagram until the last day of August for, awesome. um, you know, kind of promoting buying stamps right now. You know, let's yeah, think, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the post office, my brother-in-law is a postal worker, so... You know, join the fun. Let's do a small print exchange. Yeah, let's 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 save the let's save the post office for sure. Yeah, and uh, I should say also uh, when we got our new phones at the cell uh, phone place today, uh, the very first app that my youngest son uh, got was TikTok, and uh, so it's it's apparently all the rage, <laughs> all the rage with the kids these days. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Andre, where can people see you? People can find me on Instagram at Andre on Film. And you can check me out on Instagram at Gutterman Photo, on Facebook at Mike Gutterman Photography. You can email this program at negpositives at gmail.com. Uh, you can join the Facebook group, the Negative Positives Film uh, Photography uh, Podcast Facebook group. We also have an Instagram account under the account name Negative Positives, mostly ran by a friend of the show, Mr. Uh, Bryce Randall. If you submit photos on Instagram, think about the hashtag negative positives. Maybe Bryce will see it and highlight it for all of us to check out. Uh, and you can support this program on Coffee. It is www.ko-fi.com slash negative positives. Uh, again, 
a huge thanks to Perry for joining us tonight. That's been a real blast, and uh, we're going to see if he can uh, nail this uh, nail this uh, ending. We didn't talk about this during the break, so I don't know if he's going to be able to nail this or not. But uh, uh, Perry, we'll see where you're at here. Uh, so, uh, folks, we'll talk to you soon. Everybody, have a great week. Everybody, stay positive and shoot some cool lenses. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? Well Did done. I get it right? Well done. That's, that's good enough. Good, good enough. <laughs> All right, folks. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Production! <laughs>